Welcome to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please feel free to leave a comment and be sure to join our group on Facebook. Now relax and enjoy the show. For a Christian sci-fi with humor, adventure and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey. Travel with Jarl through the universe and several dimensions as he unearths items to help those struggling to survive on Earth during the catastrophic conclusion of the age. GraceGrows.com has more information. Read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey by Grace S. Gross. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and Palmolive Shave Creams for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. episode of Our Miss Brooks, under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, whenever the routine at Madison High School is disturbed in any way, Principal Osgood Conklin registers serious objections, and he usually blames Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English there, for the disturbance. But the latest upheaval in Madison's schedule was definitely not my fault. Two weeks ago, the Board of Education put a television set into the school to see if its cultural and educational programs would enhance our regular curriculum. Last Thursday at breakfast, I discussed it with my landlady. What effect has the television set had so far? Well, Miss Fitzgerald, who conducts the TV group an hour a day, says there's one very marked result, Mrs. Davis. In just two weeks? That's right. There isn't a student at Madison who can't tell the difference between a Pinto and a Palomino at one glance. They do have a great many cowboy films on, don't they? I would say so, yes. But there are quite a few murder mysteries on, too, and some splendid horror films. (laughs) But, Connie, the board placed the set in the school for its scholastic value. Don't they televise any truly educational programs? Oh, I suppose so, Mrs. Davis. They had a semi-educational program on yesterday. Semi-educational? Yes, I think it was called The Batman Eats Up the Dean of Harvard. (laughs) Well, I'm sure they'll have more and more cultural things to look at as time goes by. Oh, that reminds me, Connie. It's been some time since that letter came for you. Did you get it? Letter? No, I didn't get any letter. Oh, me and that absent mind of mine. And I purposely put it where we couldn't overlook it. On your plate. My plate? Oh, dear. (laughs) How much of your eggs have you eaten? (laughs) Every bit but this blue part with the black line stamped. (laughs) Here's the letter, all right. Uh Uh-oh. It's another letter from the collection agency. The collection agency? Yes, Sherry's department store has put their delinquent accounts into the hands of the Coulter Collection Agency. It seems I've owed Cherries about $25 for my Easter shopping. You mean they're making all this fuss at Cherries because you haven't paid them since Easter? Easter 1945. <laughs> <laughs> what does the letter say? What does it well, say? It says that I've either got to pay the money at once or they'll notify my employer and attach my salary. Oh, this is terrible. You know how Mr. Conklin feels about anyone who gets into debt. I wish I could help you, Connie, but the only money I've got is what you owe me for back rent. (laughs) Oh, I wouldn't want you to dig into that. (laughs) Well, I've got to be leaving for school, and 
Maybe someone there could lend me some money. How about Mr. Boynton? Mr. Boynton? Yes, he might have something saved up. He should. He's a bachelor. Don't rub it in. Well, I kind of hate to ask him for a loan. Oh, nonsense, Connie. I'm sure he'll be happy to help you. He'll probably hand you $25 before you've even finished asking for it. It'll take longer than that to open his money belt. Wait up, Miss Brooks. I'd like to chin with you for a spell. Huh? Oh, it's me, Tex Barton. Oh, for a second there, I thought the television set came out in the hall. <laughs> I've been hearing a lot about this here television. I gotta get me a look at some of that stuff. A mirror is cheaper. <laughs> I don't like to rush you, Tex, but I'm really... The reason I stopped you, Miss Brooks, I wanted to tell you Mr. Boynton's looking for you. Mr. Boynton? Yeah, he seems right fond of you, ma'am. With no intention of sounding forward or personal, I'd like to say that I think the man who gets his brand on you is a mighty lucky hombre. Well, thank you, Tex. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to the biology lab and get some branding irons in the fire. Well, Miss Brooks, come on in. Oh, thanks, Mr. Boynton. What is it you wanted to see me about? Well, it's a... Miss Brooks, for over four years now, you and I have been, well, friends. Don't rub it in. I mean, of course we've been friends. Well, it's very difficult for me to have to do this, Miss Brooks, but I, I'd like to ask a favor of you. Now, that's a coincidence. I have a favor to ask of you, too. Really? Well, that makes it easier for me to ask mine. Miss Brooks? Yes, Mr. Boynton? Can you lend me $25? $25? Well, I don't like to flaunt my erudition, Mr. Boynton, but you ain't heard no coincidences yet. I came in here to borrow $25 from you. What? I got a letter from a collection agency this morning. A uh, collection agency? The, the Coulter Collection Agency? Yes. Do you take from them, too? <laughs> They wrote me a letter saying they'd notify my employer if I didn't pay them $25 at once. Was yours an overdue charge from Sherry's? Well, yes. I bought some presents for my twin nephews, Mike and Danny, on their fifth birthday. And Sherry's is making all this fuss because you haven't paid for them yet? Well, the twins were nine on Friday. Bill, but I just haven't been able to. Neither have I. And if Mr. Conklin finds out from the agency that... Wait a minute. I've got an idea. Oh, what is it? I'm going to tell Mr. Conklin about my predicament myself. For the honor of the school, he might advance me the money. Well, do you think he'd do the same for me? Well, it's worth a try. I'll tackle him first, then you can have a whack at him after lunch. That sounds pretty dangerous to me, Miss Brooks. Do you really think you ought to take the bull by the horns? Certainly. And I can see the headline now. Girl Toreador tossed into the bleachers. <laughs> Come in. Uh, pardon me, Mr. Conklin. I don't like to disturb you, Let's but... Let's not start the day with half-truths, Miss Brooks. <laughs> what do you want? Well, sir, it's like this. I... Uh, 
Do you mind if I open the window? The window? Just the width of a human body. <laughs> Quite comfortable in this office. Now, get to the point, please. All right, I will. I need $25 to pay a delinquent bill I owe at Cherry's department store because they've turned it over to a collection agency which wrote me a letter saying that if I don't pay it promptly, they'll take it up with you. And as small as it is, I've grown too attached to my salary to have it attached. I thank you. <laughs> what? <laughs> Am I to understand that one of my teachers is in the hands of a collection agency? $25 worth of me is. I wanted to pay it, sir, but what I... What a deplorable state of affairs. Obviously, your self-indulgence and mismanagement have brought you to this sorry plight. Yes, sir. But if I can just get some help this I one time... I suppose I'll have to do something about the situation. If the Board of Education ever found out about this, it would really reflect not only on you, but on your school and its principal as well. Naturally, I don't want any skeletons in Madison's closet. Oh, you're so right, Mr. Conklin. It's terrifying enough around here without that. <laughs> Who is it? I'm from the Calder Collection Agency. Oops, he's here already. What should I do, Mr. Conklin? Where can I go? Now, calm down, Miss Brooks. One moment, please. I'll handle this matter. You go into my inner office and wait there until I call you. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Thanks very much. Come in. My name is uh, Gray, William Gray. I'm with the Coulter Collection Agency. Uh, how do you do, Mr. Gray? I presume you're here in regard to a debt of one of Madison's teachers? Uh, no, I'm here in regard to a debt of one Osgood Conklin. <laughs> Osgood Conklin? <laughs> yes, yes, I'm new in this town and haven't had much of a chance to get acquainted. Uh, Sherry's department store tells me he owes them $50 since 1948. Uh, could you help me find Mr. Conklin? What kind of a looking fellow is he? <laughs> Have you any idea? Well, uh, he was described to me as a dumpy sort of chap. <laughs> uh, thinning hair and a mustache that looks like an unkept lawn. <laughs> what? There's no such person in this vicinity. Although, come to think of it, there was an Osgood Conklin employed here four or five years ago. I believe he was the school custodian. <laughs> the one I have in mind is the principal of this school. The principal? Now? Yes. And if you happen to hear from him, would you be kind enough to inform him that unless he pays the $50 he owes by this afternoon... We will notify the Board of Education and take steps to attach his salary. But you can't do... Th uh, uh, that is, I'll be happy to inform the gentleman this way. <laughs> now, as the new school custodian, I'm quite busy, so if you'll excuse me, I'd like... <laughs> yes, to... uh, certainly. Uh, thank you for your courtesy. That's quite all right. Good day, Mr. Gray. Good day, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> well, at least I'll have time... Good day, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Dad, he knows. <laughs> oh, well. I'll think of something. Miss Brooks, you may come in now. Is he gone? Yes, yes, he's gone. Oh, by the way, you didn't happen to overhear any of our conversation, did you? Why, Mr. Conklin, you know there's a key in the keyhole. I mean, uh... <laughs> that inner office is practically soundproof. Good, good. 
Well, I can't possibly advance you any money, but in spite of your incompetence in managing your personal affairs, I've put Mr. Gray off your trail, at least temporarily. Oh, thank you, sir. At least I can go to my first class in peace. Oh, don't mention it. But before you go, I think I would like the window opened after all. It got quite hot in here rather suddenly. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? Yes, I do, Mr. Conklin. Especially for school custodians. <laughs> Brush your teeth with Colgate's Colgate Dental Cream. It cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. While it cleans your teeth. Colgate toothpaste. Cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. While it cleans your teeth. Colgate Dental Cream cleans your breath while it cleans your teeth. And the Colgate way stops tooth decay best. Yes, the Colgate way is the most thoroughly proved and accepted home method of oral hygiene known today. Over two years' research showed brushing teeth right after eating with Colgate Dental Cream helped stop more decay for more people than ever before reported in dentifrice history. The Colgate way stopped tooth decay best. No other dentifrice, ammoniated or not, offers such conclusive proof. And you should know that Colgate's, while not mentioned by name, was the only toothpaste used in the research on tooth decay recently reported in Reader's Digest. So always follow the Colgate way to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and stop tooth decay best. Brush your teeth with Colgate's Colgate Dental Cream. It cleans your breath while the toothpaste while it cleans your teeth. And the Colgate way stops tooth decay best. Well, since Mr. Conklin was a charter member of the Bad Debt Club along with Mr. Boynton and myself, we were all faced with the same dilemma. How to stall off the Colter Collection Agency before it took unpleasant action that afternoon. I was pondering this weighty problem in the school cafeteria at noon when Harriet Conklin and Walter Denton, two of my lesser problems, approached the table. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Harriet. Walter. Greetings, most majestic mentor. <laughs> we kneel at your feet, oh gracious queen of the faculty. Arise, knight. <laughs> With this butter knife, I dub thee Sir Appetite. Sit down and have some lunch, Walter. No, I just ate, Miss Brooks. Oh, come now. You can think of a better excuse than that. <laughs> We're cutting down on our lunch these days, Miss Brooks. Why, Harriet? So we can enjoy the popcorn better when we watch television. You have no idea how we enjoy the school set, Miss Brooks. It's a wonderful medium for education. Oh, now, just a minute, Walter. I've watched some of those shows. Do you call those Western movies educational? Well, certainly. Of course, it all depends on what an individual's looking for. Now, me, I watch them to learn about customs and manners of a great era and a great adventurous people. And Harriet, on the other hand, watches them for another reason. What does she want to learn? How to slide a glass of beer down a long bar? <laughs> legitimate educational programs shown, Miss Brooks. We just haven't been able to get them lately. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> oh, I suppose you kids do get something out of the television class. Oh, we do, Miss Brooks. Miss Fitzgerald is most helpful and constructive. She keeps the room in just the right degree of darkness to make the picture come out sharp and clear. As a matter of fact, 
Harriet and I are on our way to the television room right now. But, Walter, it's only 12.30. There's nothing permitted on television until the class at 2. I know. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> It's a great place to hold hands, Miss Brooks. You want to drop in there with Mr. Boynton sometime. Oh, fine. <laughs> Little did I think in teacher's college that someday I'd be on the faculty at Lowe's Madison High. <laughs> Pardon me, Miss Brooks, but is this table occupied? No, Mr. Boynton. The occupation force has just left. <laughs> Sit down, won't you? Oh, thanks. Well, I haven't been able to get the money for the collection agency as yet, have you? No, I haven't. But we're not the only indigent faculty members at this school. Our principal owes a bill, too. You mean Mr. Conklin's in the same boat we are? He's not only in it, he's rocking it. <laughs> While I was in his office, I heard Mr. Gray from the agency threaten to expose Mr. Conklin to the Board of Education if he didn't pay up $50 by this afternoon. Why, that's terrible. <laughs> Tragic. must be some method whereby we, we could pacify the agency until we could pay up. In that way, maybe... Wait, I've got an idea. Maybe we could put up something as security. You know, temporary collateral. Collateral? Oh, but I haven't anything that's worth $25 with me, and even my watch. I know, it's in the same window as mine. <laughs> well, what we might be able to do is give them one item that might serve as security until we all pay up. Let's see now, isn't there something right here at school that looks impressive but is completely unessential? Sure there is, but the collection agency would never accept Mr. Conklin as security. <laughs> uh, please, Miss Brooks, this is serious. Say, I know what might work. We'll offer them the school television set. So far, it's been most unessential. Oh, but it's not our property. It belongs to the board. We'll only be borrowing it, Mr. Boynton. And since we'll be helping Mr. Conklin out of a jam, too, he'll be sure to cooperate. Yes, the more I think about it, the more I like it. I'll call Mr. Gray and have him pick up the set immediately. But, Miss Brooks, are you sure Mr. Conklin will stand for this? Mr. Boynton, I'm positive. I can hardly wait to see his face when I tell him about it. I'll bet it turns absolutely human. <laughs> This is the office of Osgood Conklin, the principal of Madison High School, himself speaking. Isn't that nice? Well, this is himself, head of the Board of Education on this end. What? Mr. Stone, how nice to hear from you, sir. I was just saying to myself... You can now, tell me about it this to... afternoon, Conklin. I'm coming over to see how that television class is working in your school. The television class? But, Mr. Stone, are you sure this afternoon is convenient for you? Maybe some other we time... We went to considerable be... expense to install that set two weeks ago, and I've got to find out if the experiment is worth it. I'll see you in about an hour. Goodbye. Uh, yes, sir. Goodbye, Mr. Stone. Oh, everything happens to me. I hope that collection agency fellow doesn't come snooping around this afternoon. Whoop. He won't be back until tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, oh, come in. Mr. Conklin, I've got some delightful news for you. Really? When are you transferring? <laughs> Even better news than that, if that's possible. 
What I wanted to tell you, sir, was that I've put up some security, and the collection agency isn't going to bother us again until we're ready to pay them back what we owe. Why, Miss Brooks, you have no idea what a relief this is to me. Just before you arrived, Mr. Stone called and said he was coming over this afternoon. It would have been terribly embarrassing if he'd run into that collection chap. Oh, it certainly would have. But if I say so myself, and who else is going to, I have successfully circumvented that catastrophe. Yes, sir, I just used the old noggin and... Mm, Well, tell me, Miss Brooks, just how did you manage to stall them? Well, I simply called Mr. Gray and had him pick up the school television set. And in return for that, he agreed not to... You had him pick up what? Television set. You see, sir, I figured. Oh, God! Miss Brooks, the reason Mr. Stone just called was to inform me that he's coming over this afternoon to witness the school set in operation. What? But he can't do that. I mean, we've got to do something. You've got to do something. (laughs) The author of the infamous plot just outlined to me, the responsibility for all further action rests with you and you alone. Yes, sir. Even while you were talking, the very tiniest mouse of an idea began nibbling at my brain. If I know you, Miss Brooks, he'll either starve to death in five minutes or emerge as the most terrifying spectacle since the Phantom of the Opera. Well, we're assured of the cooperation of the kids, Mr. Conklin. The rest is up to us. It's a desperate measure, Miss Brooks, but I'll do my part. Now, as I understand it, you are to remain here in my office to receive Mr. Stone, and I am to return in about five minutes. Correct. Believe me, Mr. Conklin, when Mr. Stone leaves here, he'll be delighted that our TV set is no longer on the premises. I'd like to believe you, Miss Brooks. And now, as I leave this office where I spent so many joyous years as Madison, (laughs) beloved dictator, a principal, (laughs) I can only say, as I open this door, that if I am about to walk into the shadow of unemployment, I shall not walk alone. Isn't he sweet? (laughs) Give me a Come in. Good afternoon, Miss Brooks. Is Mr. Conklin in? No, sir. So where is he? Well, I can't rightly say. <laughs> he just sort of took off like a big-winged bird. <laughs> what? Most likely just mosey down the hall a piece. Come on in and sit, Mr. Stone. I'll chin with your spell. Chin with... Miss Brooks, do you realize you're talking to the head of the Board of Education? Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Stone. It's just that I've been watching so much television since you had it installed at school that this here Western palaver comes right natural to me. That set was installed for strictly cultural purposes. And that's the way it's been used. It's already tied and branded most of the young'uns here at Madison. The young'uns? Beg pardon for busting in, Miss Brooks, but have you seen anything of my pappy? <laughs> Mary, 
very hard nor hair, Harry. <laughs> but you haven't said howdy to Mr. Stone, gal. Mr. Stone, you know Harriet Conklin. I used to. <laughs> howdy, Mr. Stone. Right nice to meet up with you again. Now, who's she supposed to be? Calamity Jane? <laughs> so much attention to westerns. As far as I'm concerned, they're nothing Hold but... Hold on there, Mr. Stone. That kind of palaver don't go in these parts. What's that? You was about to say a discouraging word. <laughs> I'll say more than that. Excuse me, folks. The door was open, so I thought I'd just lope on here. <laughs> this I don't believe at all. This is Mr. Stone from the Board of Education. Well, if and he's a friend of yours, Miss Brooks, he's a friend of mine, no matter where he's from. I see you. This farce has gone far enough. Why are you talking in this manner, boy? I don't know no other way. How long have you been speaking with this, this Western drawl? I've been a-talking this way since I was ankle-high to the drooping fetlock of a stunted pindo. And you can't get lower than that unless you're driving a submarine. He can't have always talked this way. Television isn't that old. With him, it's standard equipment, Mr. I don't get this. Does everyone at Madison want to be a cowboy? Oh, no, sir. Several of them have expressed a desire to be Indians. <laughs> when this TV proposition was broached... Oh, oh there you are, Conklin. Uh, sorry I'm late. Now, I guess you must think I'm a pretty ornery maverick. Ornery maverick? Why, sure. <laughs> to go and... Crapesing off while you're squatting on your haunches in my corral? Oh, for heaven's sakes, not you too! Mr. Conklin's watched television very closely. Yeah, I, I've observed it thoroughly, partner. I mean, Mr. Stone. All I can say is the influence it's had on this particular school is positively abysmal. Oh, I agree. Yeah, what you said. That, that's why I took the liberty of making a rather radical decision today. Mr. Stone, what would you say if I told you that the television set was no longer with us? I'd say good riddance, Osgood. Splendid. You would? In that case, I must, with humble pride, accept your congratulations, sir. The set is off these premises. And as I would have taken full censure, so must I take full credit for its going. Huh? <laughs> Concept from the beginning, this action taken for the good of the school was my doing and mine alone. And I know Miss Brooks will be the first to bear me out. Definitely. How do you want to go? Head first or feet first? Our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... You'll get smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shaves by shaving the palm olive brushless way. 
Yes, smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shaves the palm olive brushless way. Hey, that's a fact, men. You can get smoother, yes, more comfortable shaves the palm olive brushless shaving cream way. Just rub velvet smooth palm olive brushless into your beard. You'll find it wilts the toughest whiskers. Actually protects your skin by providing a soft film that floats your razor's cutting edge. Remember, over 1,200 men tested the Palm Olive Brushless Shaving Cream Way following directions on the package. And no matter how they shaved before, three out of four reported beards easier to cut, less razor pull, smoother, more comfortable, yes, more comfortable shaves. So men, try the Palm Olive Brushless Way yourself. Even in cold or hard water, you get a close, clean shave. And a smoother, more comfortable... Yes, a more comfortable shave. You get smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shaves the Palm Olive Brushless Way. Next time you shave, try the Palm Olive Brushless Shaving Cream Way. And now once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, as soon as Mr. Stone and the others had left his office... Mr. Conklin admitted that he was grateful for my assistance. Then, in the manner so typical of the man, he immediately conferred upon me my reward. Miss Brooks, in appreciation for your meritorious service, I have decided to bestow a rare honor upon you. You will be permitted to type up in triplicate six copies of my latest report to the superintendent of schools (laughs) and have it on my desk tomorrow morning. Miss Brooks, you haven't answered me. Where are you going? I'm going to head him off at the pass. It's the only way to save the fort. This is Lord Smith reminding you to tune in next week for another Our Miss Brooks show. Brought to you by Tom Ali Shave Cream for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis and Arthur Allsberg, with the music of Wilbur Hatch. Well, I certainly 
ain't need a piece of jewelry. I got a jewelry box in my dresser drawer there that's just full of junk. That's all you ever give me in the way of jewelry is junk. Yeah, well, how about that genuine diamond engagement ring I give you? Genuine diamond. I remember the day that diamond fell out of the set and I stepped on it. What about it? I had seven years bad luck. <laughs> I don't know why I can't have nice jewelry like Miss Caldwell upstairs. Every time I talk to her, I know that she's wearing two or three expensive necklaces around her neck at one time. Yeah, well, your friend Mrs. Caldwell has got to do that to hide them big wrinkles around her neck. Yeah, but as I look at you, my darling, and see the smooth neck like you has got, you don't need the... You don't, uh... How would you like to have a nice jaw wrinkle cream there, honey? <laughs> for my birthday, and I don't want no more cheap junk like I got. Well, now, don't worry, honey, don't worry. I'll get you some real good junk. I mean, uh, some real good stuff this time. Well, I gotta run along. I'm late for our club meeting. See you later, George. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Well, let me take a look in her jewelry box here in the dresser drawer. Hmm. Yeah, she right. She sure got a lot of junk in this box. Hey, wait a minute, sir. Andy done fell in love with a gal. Maybe if I can sell Andy a piece of this junk. Yeah, I'll sell Andy this old string of pearls here for ten bucks, and I'll have enough money to buy Sapphire a nice five-dollar present. Oh, yes, Amos is wonderful. Oh, listen, Andy, you ain't got to tell me you was in love. Whenever you sit there looking like a sick calf, I always know there's a gal on your mind. Yeah, Amos, but this time it's the real thing. I'm crazy about this gal. Yeah, well, you sound serious again, all right. You've been serious. Certainly, certainly I'm serious. I'm planning on marrying her. Everything is all set. It's just one little thing that's holding up the wedding. Oh, uh, what's that? She don't like me. <laughs> to think that maybe she's just bluffing. Well, she had her old man to kick me out the house the other day. That's the hardest bluff I done ever felt. <laughs> sure enough, did he kick you real hard, Andy? Well, the way I was sailing, if there'd have been a gold post there, he'd have scored two points. <laughs> yeah, well, if I was you... Uh, come in, King Well, hello there, boys. What's the topic of recursion here today? Well, Andy's got a new gal, but, well, he ain't doing so good, King Oh, uh, Well, maybe I can help him. Well, somebody ought to help him, or he's going to be bluffed into the hospital, I know that. Well, see you later. So long, fella. So long. You see, Kingfish, this gal don't like me too much. Well, I think I got a thing here that'll win over, Brother Ender. Uh, here, take a look at these. Hmm, pearls. Yes, and I was happy to say that these pearls were stolen from the Sultan of Uganistan. <laughs> Sultan who? Uh, Uganistan. That's a mythical kingdom out in India. Mythical kingdom? How'd you get them? Got them from one of the myths. <laughs> well, uh, where'd she get them? Uh, she got them from an old cobbler. Uh, just, uh, just look at these pearls. And under the light there. Yeah. See how they effervesce there? Look at them there. See them? Mm, yeah, they're really vesting there, ain't they? <laughs> these things is over 500 years old. And I hear that they is worth a king's grandson. <laughs> What are you going to do with them? Well, I was going to sell them to the Museum of Natural Jewelry, but I changed my mind, so now I'm going to sell them to a private party. Yeah, who? Well, i got to find somebody that I like that's got a girl that they want to make a hit with. Uh, hey, wait a minute. you got a girl, ain't you? 
You was also a private party, too. Yeah, sure I am. Yeah, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll sell them to you for $10, and I guarantee that if you give these to your gal, you'll make a big hit with it. Oh, beautiful, ain't it? Look at them. They're professing again. Look at that. <laughs> you know something? My eyes always hear that there's different kind of pearls. Is these uh, cultured? Oh, they got plenty of culture. If these pearls could speak, they wouldn't talk to either one of us. <laughs> Expensive. Well, uh, I tell you, and uh, good pearls are scarce. Uh, you see, a uh, pearl expert got to eat hundreds of oysters a day just to find one pearl. Is that right? Oh, yeah, and there's only one real pearl expert in the country, mm. and he don't like oysters. <laughs> well, how does that make him so expensive? Oh, uh, how? Because he demands big money for eating stuff he don't like. You do, huh? Oh, yeah. If, if the pearls was found in shrimp, it'd be much cheaper, because the pearl expert loves shrimp. He's crazy about them, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, yeah. Pieces I had to take out of there. If 
she ever finds out about this, what is I going to do? You look kind of worried. Well, I is worried. It's uh, about my wife. Uh, one of my wife's heirlooms has disappeared. Well, have you notified the Bureau of Missing Persons? <laughs> uh, no, no, one of her jewelry heirlooms. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Oh, sure, uh, of course. Uh, my wife has got an heirloom, a beautiful thing. Maybe you have noticed it. It's uh, one large stone surrounded by a lot of backgammon. Uh, no, you, you see, Henry, uh, I sold Andy... A uh, old pearl necklace that my wife had, and I thought it was junk as worth over hundred dollars. Well, why don't you get it back from Andy? Yeah, well, how's I going to do it? Uh, he got the pearl necklace, and I don't spend part of his ten dollars. Well, now wait a minute. You know there's a tax on jewelry, a luxury tax. Taxes on jewelry is very absorbent. Uh, yeah, see what you mean there. And if he didn't pay the tax, it's just lawful. Yeah, I'll work out something on this tax thing with him. That's a good idea. Yes, well, I got to be running along. I'm going over to Carnegie Hall. My wife left her chewing gum on the bottom of a seat there last night. Wait a minute. Uh, you mean to tell me you're going over there just to get a piece of your wife's old chewing gum? I'll say I am. Her gold inlay was in it. Well, Andy, hello there. I was just leaving. Yeah, hello, Miss Van Porter. Well, I'll see you later. Uh, and, uh, you're just a man I want to see you. Sit down here. I got some bad news for you, son. What's that? Uh, and, uh, when I sold you the pearl necklace, I forgot to charge you the taxes on the sale. And unless you pay the taxes, it's criminal offense, you know. No fool. Is that the law? Oh, yeah. Uh, did you got a copy of the Constitution in your pocket there? <laughs> no, I ain't. Yeah, I left mine at home today, too. Well, you know, if you don't pay the taxes legally, you go right to jail. Well, wait a minute, yeah. I don't want to go to jail. How much is the tax? Well, now, let me see here. I've got to figure it out. Uh, first, we put down the purchase price. Uh, you paid for the necklace, uh, $10. Mm. Now, uh, uh, where's the slide rule? Is you got it with you there? No, I ain't got that neither. Yeah, I ain't got mine neither. I must have left it home with the Constitution, I guess. Uh. <laughs> well, uh, on this paper here, I'll write down the purchase price there, $10. Mm-hmm. I certainly wish I had my slide rule. Well, can't you, can't you just slide the paper? Uh, no, no, no. Now, uh, with a, now ten dollars. Now the first, uh, the first one to figure out is the luxury tax. That's twenty percent, uh, twenty percent of the purchase price. So I put down a twenty there, and I multiplicate that. Uh, uh, mm, mm, uh, you got a multiplication table with you there? <laughs> no, but there's a kitchen table out in the hall. <laughs> use this one here. Yeah, uh, now, there's the unemployment insurance. Yeah, wait a minute now. Wait, I ain't even got a job. Yeah, but you bought the pearls, though. You bought the pearls when you was unemployed, so you got to pay the insurance. Now, Brother Andrew, what is your social security number? Give me that. Well, what has the social security got to do with the thing? Well, you bought the pearls purely for social reasons to make your gal have more security. <laughs> so you pay the social security tax. Now, what's the number? Well, 625- one five zero dash ten ninety eight. The last four numbers is added to the tax. Ten dollars down here. Now there's a special pearl diving tax, the federal income tax, the state control tax, and of course there's the tax tax. You know they double that. That's something new, ain't it? That tax tax. Uh, yeah, with all the other taxes, they got to put on so much extra help down Washington, taking out all the returns. They got a tax tax to help free off expenses. You see. A lot of taxes there, all right. Oh, yeah, and the last one is the anti-tax tax. Anti? What is that one? Uh, that's a tax that they got to get the money for a fund to fight all them other taxes, which you see what I mean? Well, there's some sense to that one. Yeah.
What's the matter, Kingsley? Well, uh, any of the pearls I sold you has got a curse on them. You is in danger. What do you mean, a curse? Well, the history of these pearls has left a trail of broken hearts and bad luck. Remember I told you the pearls were stolen from the Sultan of Afghanistan? Yeah. Well, you know, he got them from a man that was working out in the orchard. In the orchard? What was he doing out there? You told me he was a cobbler. Yeah, well, he was a peach cobbler. I told you.
You know, Josephine, I had a superstition that this would happen, and I don't want you to have nothing that ain't good. So here, here's a diamond and ruby bracelet that I got you instead. Oh, a diamond and ruby bracelet. Yeah, show that to your papa tonight before I come over. Yeah, I, I can tell you about just glancing at that diamond and ruby bracelet. That, that's okay. Oh, thank you, Andy. Here are the pearls. I, 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 wait a minute. Give them to me, Miss Brown. I'll toss them back in the ocean and let the oysters work on them some more. Yeah. <laughs> protection of Band-Aid brand with the unique Super Stick adhesive. Remember, only Johnson & Johnson makes Band-Aid brand. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time, Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levin. And now to visit our friend, the Great Gildersleeve, who's alternately looking at his watch, which says 315, and at a large mysterious package, which says, deliver to Leroy Forrester, Esquire. <laughs> Isn't Leroy ever going to get home from school, my dear? Now, Uncle Mort, you've been fussing over that package ever since it came. You shouldn't be so curious. I'm not in the least bit curious. I was just wondering what was inside. I think it contains magazines. It says Leroy Forster, Esquire. Is... <laughs> no, Bertie. Uh, by the way, where's it from? Some place called Fragile. Yeah, for... <laughs> no, no, the name on the other side. Oh, you mean... Oh, you've no hooks. Use no hooks, Colorado, yes. The name of the firm, Bertie. Turn it over. Oh, yes, the Metropolis Merchandise Company. Well, this has me worried. Let me look at it once more, Bertie. Here it is, Mr. Gilsey. Uh, thank you. Oh, darn it, it almost flew open, uh, but not quite. Don't lift it by the string, Uncle. It'll break. Oh, yes, so it will. I mean, I'll try to be more careful, my dear. Uh, now, let me examine it. If you examine that box any more strenuously, it's going to fall apart. Yes, I hope you... I mean, I suppose you're right, Bertie. Well, this has gone on long enough. Bring me the scissors, please, Bertie. The scissors? Uncle, I don't think you should open Leroy's mail. Who's opening Leroy's mail? I just decided to cut the cuffs off my trousers and bring this suit back in style. <laughs> oh, 
sounds like Leroy now. It can't be. He shut the door after himself. Oh, Bernie, I'm hungry. That's Leroy, all right. Was there any mail for me? Yeah, here it is. See, I can hardly wait. Good afternoon, Uncle Mort. Where is it? Hi, Marge. Oh, boy, what a big package. Hello, Bernie. Anybody got a pair of scissors? Thanks, Uncle. Yes. Oh, dear, what? Why, it's garden seeds. Yeah, 300 packages of them. That's a good deal, Leroy. Sure, all I have to do is sell them at 10 cents a package and send back the $30. That's not such a good deal after all. <laughs> what do you get out of it, young man? Well, I'm not going to tell you now. I'm going to wait till I finish selling the whole slew and surprise you. Well, if you sell that many seeds, it's so going to surprise me. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I've got three surefire customers to begin with. Is that so? Who are they, my boy? You, Margin Bertie. Yes, <laughs> All right, step right up, folks. Get your nice fresh seeds. Which kind do you want, Bertie? Well, let me see. Oh, you got flower seeds, too? Sure thing. Petunias, hollyhocks, cucumbers, onions. Yes. Yeah, and sweet William. Oh, that's what I'll have. There's a boy in Army named William. I'd sweet on. <laughs> Okay, that'll be a dime, Bertie. How about you, Marge? You want to take something to remind you of that ensign in the Navy. You want any beans? <laughs> <laughs> no, Leroy. I'll remember him without beans. I'll take those forget-me-nots. Uh, here's my dime, Leroy. I've taken some kohlrabi seeds. Kohlrabi? What's that? Uh, kohlrabi, Leroy, is cabbage trying to be cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> Leroy, don't you think 300 packages are too many for you to try to sell? Oh, no, sis. I am going to cover every backyard in town. And look how well I've done so far. In the first five minutes, I've already three down and only 297 yards to go. Uh, look, Piggy, why don't you buy your mother a package of flower seeds for Mother's Day? Yeah, but a package of seeds is a lot cheaper than a bouquet. No, I'm sorry, I can't trust you. Now, in the instructions, the company says they trust me, but I'm not supposed to trust anybody else. Well, at least think it over, will you? Okay, goodbye. Uh, by the way, Leroy, it's just a week since those seeds arrived. How many have you got left? 263. Yeah, no, Leroy, I don't mean the number of seeds. I mean the number of packages. That's what I mean, too, Unc. Yes, Business would have been a lot better. Only half the kids in town are selling seeds. Oh, well, it's the best salesman who win out. Gee, Uncle, you used to be a super salesman, didn't you? Well, yes. And I started selling the Gildersleeve girdle. I... <laughs> I developed some pretty snappy tricks, my boy. <laughs> but the principal thing to remember is politeness. Bear in mind that a polite approach will always get a polite response. Yeah, now, who's at that door? How do you do, sir? I hope I'm not intruding. You are. What do you want? Well, uh, I represent the Big Gem Encyclopedia Corporation of East St. Louis, Illinois. No, scram. But you haven't... Beat it. But you haven't even heard what I have to say. I don't want any. Goodbye. Remember, Leroy, a polite approach will always get a polite response. <laughs> always remember that. I'll bet a quarter that when you went out after a prospect, you brought him back on a dotted line, like Frank Burke. A buck. Okay, a buck, then. It, that's not bad. <laughs> However, I wager I could do such a good job selling your vegetable seeds that you could come along ten minutes later and sell the same people corned beef to go with the cabbages they'd expect to raise. Yeah, it's too bad you still can't do it, Uncle Mort. Yeah, who says I can't? Could you? Why, of course. Oh, gee, that's swell. Oh, Marge, Uncle Mort is going to show me how to sell the rest of my seeds. Now, hold on a minute. I didn't say I'll that... go to my room and get my stock, Uncle. Huh? Oh, great jumping jeeps. I've been taken in again. Oh, <laughs> 
Remember, Leroy, the important thing is to start talking first and don't stop till your customer says yes. Understand? Yes. All right. Now watch me. Oh, Mrs. Dobson. Oh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. Hello, Leroy. Is there anything I can do for you? Because Mama isn't home right now. She's downtown getting some burned-out electric bulbs in case you have another blackout. <laughs> Excuse me for cutting in, Dottie, but I'm helping Leroy sell these wonderful garden seeds, and I thought maybe you folks would like to buy some. Oh, garden seeds? Well, I don't know whether we're going to plant a garden or not this year on account of I tried one in 1941, but he didn't have a bit of luck. You didn't? What'd you plant? Peanuts. I planted a whole bag of them, but nothing came up. (laughs) Well, do you think the salt kept them from growing, Mr. Gildersleeve? You... Well, maybe I should try something else this year. Have you got any popcorn? I'm crazy about popcorn. If you have any, I'll take ten cents worth of it's hot. You know. <laughs> Dottie, I'm sorry. However, we have lettuce and spinach and eggplant and oyster plant. Oyster plant and eggplant? Oh, you can't fool me. Eggs come from nests and oysters don't grow on plants either. You catch them with a harpoon. You harpoon. <laughs> I think I'll just plant bird seed this year on it. Kind of the birds always get it anyhow. Well, goodbye now. <laughs> it's getting dark, Uncle Mort. Don't you think we'd better go home while we're just hungry and before we start starving? No, Leroy. I'd still like to show you how to make a sale. Now, I have a feeling that things are going to be different at this house. Okay, I'll ring the bell. Yes. Yeah. Now, observe the way I give them the uh, politeness approach. Yes, what is it? Oh, how do you do, sir? I'd like to sell you some wonderful garden seeds. They grow so quickly that all you have to do is stick them in the ground and jump back fast. (laughs) Say, uh, don't you live over on Parkside Avenue? Well, yes. How did you know? Don't you remember me? No, I can't say that I do. Well, I came to your door this afternoon selling encyclopedias. You did? Yes, I did. And do you remember what you did? No, what? Yes, now I remember. Uncle Ward, can't we continue the salesmanship lesson tomorrow? No, after we sell some seeds to Mrs. Twitchell Leroy, I'm sure she's going to buy some anyway. Why not? She's been a pioneer in everything else. Uh, uh, what's keeping her? You'd think the old squaw would answer her door, but she's probably too la dee da Mrs. Twitchell. <laughs> Oh, hello, Leroy. How do, Mr. Gildersleeve? What brings you here? It's these seeds of Leroy's. He had quite a lot of them, and I suggested to him that you might want some. Well, that's very thoughtful of you. I could plant some in my garden. You see, Leroy, your Uncle Mort knows. How about three or four packages of corn, Mrs. Twitchell? Mm, Are you sure you can spare it? (laughs) Oh, sure. We got nine packages. Uh, Would you like all nine of them? Uh, Yes, I would. Oh, splendid. Now, how about some turnips and parsnips? Oh, do you think they'd be useful? Oh, surely. They're good for... uh... What are they good for? Oh, yes, they make better mashed potatoes than lima beans do. <laughs> Here you are, six packages. Oh, uh, I would also like some beet seeds. Uh, how do they come? The beets, eight to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of silly, isn't it? <laughs> we don't, we've struck a gold mine. Yeah, you said it. Uh, now, Mr. Twitchell, would you like some Brussels sprouts or okra or lettuce? Oh, no, no, no more, Miss Gildersleeve. I already have more than I should have taken, and uh, really, it was most generous of you to come over with such lovely little gifts. Yes, gifts? Uh, thank you, and good night. Good night. <laughs> Now, 
Judge Hooker, the first thing we want understood is that we're selling these seeds, not giving them away. I understand, Gildersleeve. You're no congressman. The reason you should buy these seeds is to start a victory garden, Judge. Yeah, everyone should have a victory garden. Right. Food will help win the war. Food is as important as ammunition. Yeah, and all the money we save raising our own food, we can put into war-saving stamps and bonds. Say, hey, that's a very good point, young man. Hey, yeah, and look at the exercise it'll give us. Sure, and that way you can get rid of that spare tire, Gildy. Well, I wasn't aware that I had any spare tire. Just look in any mirror, Gildersleeve. Oh, yes, the judge made a joke, Leroy. Let's laugh. <laughs> I'm glad you agree with us, though, Judge. How many packages of seeds do you want? None. It's none? Why not? Well, I planted my garden a week ago. Gee, too late. You mean that pint-sized plot in your backyard? Well, you can't raise enough stuff there to feed your next-door neighbor's bantam chicken. Well, I haven't any more room here. If I had a place out in the country, I could sure go to town. Oh, out in the country. Oh, say, there's an acre that belongs to Marjorie and Leroy's estate right outside the city limits. There is? Well, uh, we'd let you plant a big garden out there if you bought your seeds from the right party. Uh, oh, an acre's too much for me to handle by myself. But I'd take half if you'd plant the other half, Gildy. That's an idea, Uncle Mort. Between the two of you, you'd use up all the seeds we haven't sold. Yes, well, I don't know. Remember, I... Gildersleeve, food is ammunition. Yes. Especially the food you'd grow. <laughs> We can use it to throw at the enemy. Yeah, that's so. Uh, well, I'll show you. Leroy, how many packages of seeds have you got left? $23 worth. All right. That'll be 11 and a half from you, Judge, and the same amount from me. Now, how about making it a sporting proposition? I'll toss you to see who pays for the whole thing. Okay, he's going to toss me. <laughs> you call it, Hooker. Hey, ready? Head. It's a head, all right. Head, huh? I should have mine examined. <laughs> We'll hear from the great Gildersleeve again in just a moment. But first, here's an interesting question a friend asked me, a question that certainly proves American housewives are nutrition-conscious these days. It was about parquet margarine, the delicious spread-for-bread made by Kraft. This housewife said, I serve my family parquet margarine, and they all like it. But does parquet provide them with the kind of nourishment I should expect from a spread-for-bread? Well, that's easy to answer. The answer is yes. Parquet margarine provides economically the important food elements that nutritional experts generally require of a spread for bread. Here they are. First, parquet margarine provides energy. In fact, it's one of the best energy foods you can serve. Second, parquet is nourishing because the wholesome American vegetable oils and farm products that go into parquet are nourishing in themselves. Third, parquet margarine is a reliable food source of vitamin A. Yes, summer and winter, every pound of parquet contains 9,000 units of this important vitamin. So, you see, thrifty parquet margarine provides the things a spread for bread should provide. And it tastes so deliciously good, your family is sure to like it. So why not try some tomorrow? Just ask for parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y. Parquet margarine, made by Kraft. <laughs> Have you ever tried to locate a piece of property from the legal description on the deed? Well, that's what the great Gildersleeve and his nephew Leroy are attempting to do this morning before starting out to plant that victory garden. Yeah, 200 northerly feet of the westerly half of Section 5 East. 
sometimes known as the old Flugelhammer property. In track 207 and a half of the 1904 survey, as provided for in paragraph O of the treaty made by President Chester A. Arthur through the Kitsiku Indians. I still don't know where it is. Neither do I. Too bad I never went out and looked at that property. Yeah, it might turn out to be in a swamp or under a lake. Well, in that case, we could raise ducks. Or rice. Or ducks and rice. <laughs> Imagine raising ducks already stuffed with wild rice. <laughs> Before you start selling any duck dinners, Unc, yeah. don't you think we'd better go downtown and ask the county recorder where this property is located? That's a mighty good idea, my boy. Then we can go directly out there. Okay, start the car. Yeah, not so fast. What about our lunch? Oh, Bertie. I got the whole pack, Mr. Gillsleeve. Here he is. I picked some new kind of sandwiches I hope you like. Oh, what are they, Bertie? I call them Bertie Burgers. Yes, Bertie Burgers. They consist of half a cold chicken between two slices of baked ham. Oh, boy. Come on, Uncle. Let's hurry out there so we can dig in. To the sandwiches, I mean. Yeah. You're going to do a lot of other digging, young man, before we come to the Bertie Burgers. Are all the garden tools in the rear compartment, Leroy? Sure thing. Start them up, Uncle. It seems to me we've forgotten something. Uh, tools, lunch, old clothes. I guess we've got everything. Well, thank you, Bertie. Welcome. Now, take it easy the first day, and don't try to chew more than you can bite off. Yeah, okay, Bertie. Have a good time while we're away. <laughs> yeah? You sure showed a funniest-looking songs I done ever seen. <laughs> well, so long, folks. Yeah, so long. Did you hear that, Leroy? Bertie says we're two of the funniest-looking farmers he ever uh, uh, seen. Whoa! <laughs> Huh? Bertie just reminded me what I'd forgotten to take. All that seed. <laughs> this is certainly out in the country, all right, isn't it, my boy? I bet the Saturday evening post doesn't get out here till Saturday. <laughs> ever happened to have property this far from town? Well, it was taken in on a bad debt that we were taken in on. Well, according to the directions, it runs 200 feet north from this marker. Well, which way is north? There's north. Let me see. If we had an oak tree, we could tell. If it had moss on it, it moss grows on the north side. It, nor is it the south side. Well, it's one of the two, anyway. Well, how about asking that man over there? That man where? Over there with the mule. Oh, I thought that was a pair of mules. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you over there. Which way is north? What did you say? If I said which way is north. Huh? If which way is north? Don't know. I just work here. <laughs> I could have gotten a more intelligent answer out of the other mule. Well, maybe we can figure it out by ourselves, Uncle. Huh? The sun should be in the east, shouldn't it? Yes, unless it's afternoon already. Well, then, if you face east, your left hand is toward the north, isn't it? Well, yes, you're a bright boy scout, Leroy. Now, all we have to do is measure off 200 feet towards our left. Uh-oh, we forgot to bring a yardstick. Yeah, one thing after another. And maybe that fellow over there has a yardstick. If, hey, you! If, have you got a yardstick? What did you say? I said if you got a yardstick. A yardstick. Don't know. I just worked here. <laughs> Never mind, Leroy. I'll just step off the two hundred yards. That's well. How long a step do you take, Uncle? Huh? A step? Well, let's see. Somewhere between. Uh, oh, I forget. Or did I ever know? 
You'd better skip the stepping, Leroy. Have you got any other suggestions? Yeah, too bad Bertie isn't here. She wears a size 12 shoe. We can use it for a one-foot ruler. <laughs> How tall are you, Unc? That's all. I'm five feet ten. Why? Gee, if you were only six feet tall, you could lay down and be two yardsticks. <laughs> hey, that's a good idea, Leroy. I know what we'll do. Hey, bring that rake handle out of the back of the car, will you please? Yes, yes. Now, I'll lay down here like this. Now, you mark the spot in the dust where my feet end. Okay, but what... You'll soon see, my boy. Here, now mark the top of my... where my head hits the ground there. Splendid. What's the idea, Unc? Yes. Now, add two inches. Add two inches? Get away, Walkie. I still don't get it. Just measure the distance from my head to my toes on that rake handle. Then add the two inches, and you'll have six feet. Swinging that tail in my eyes, madam. <laughs> oh, thank goodness she's gone. Help me up, Leroy. My goodness. What does that farmer mean, letting a dangerous cow run around loose? If, hey, you! What did you say? Why did you leave that cow loose? Uh, what's that? If, what do you mean, leaving that cow run around stepping on people? Oh, why is that cow allowed to run wild? Don't know. She just works here. <laughs> uh, keep it up, Uncle Moore. That's fine, Judge Hooker. This is our last row. Yeah, it's a mighty hard row to hoe, too. Oh, don't beep so much, you old muttonhead. Doesn't this take you back to the days when you were a kid on the farm, Judge? It would, Gildy, except for one thing. Uh, what's that? I was never on the farm when I was a kid. Oh, I bet you never were a kid either. You must have been born middle-aged. Was it fun on the farm, Uncle? I'll say. I used to go around barefooted. Oh, it was nice to bury my little pink toes in the cool, fresh earth. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't mind doing that right now. That won't make you a kid again, Gildersleeve. Well, maybe not, but these shoes are awfully tight anyway. No one minds. I'm going to take them off. <coughs> yeah. There's nothing like getting back to the soil, is there? Uh, certainly feels nice to scrunch the dirt between your toes, doesn't it? It does? Yeah. Come on, Judgy. You might as well be comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I will try it. Uh, How about you, Leroy? Oh, thanks. I've outgrown that sort of thing long ago. <laughs> well, I got my shoes off, Gildy. <laughs> Feels mighty good. Yeah, it'd feel even better if you took your socks off, too. Huh? <laughs> uh, oh, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> 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 hey, what's wrong with you? I'm standing on a pussy willow. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you're right, Leroy. Come on, Judge. Quit clowning around and help Leroy and me. Now, what do you want me to do? Well, here's some seeds. Unc, you put two of these in each hole, and Judge Hooker, you cover them with dirt. Oh, that's easy enough. Hey, you've got two different kinds of seeds in this bag, Leroy. Which do you want us to plant? One of each. That's unusual. What's the idea? Oh, it's an experiment I'm making. I'm mixing corn and lima bean seeds together to see if we can get a succotash plant. Yes, sir. <laughs> 
Well, if this works, we can try planning a blue plate special. <laughs> hey, come on, Judge. I'll drop them in and you cover them up. Surely. Now, let's do it with teamwork and rhythm. Rhythm. Yeah, we'll count. One, two, three, four. Oh. On one and two, you drop in the seeds. On three and four, I'll rake over the dirt. Yeah. Okay? Why not? Anything your little mind can think of, Judge. Yeah. Let's begin. One, a two. Three, four. Uh, one, a two. Three, four. Uh, one, a two. Three, four. It's corn, a bean. Rake, rake. It's corn, a bean. Rake. Oh! <laughs> Quit raking my big toe, you clumsy little bastard. Hold on, I never came anywhere near your big toe, you big ninny. Is that right? Well, look. Is that your big toe? <laughs> Why, I thought it was a lima bean. <laughs> Judge Hooker, lima beans don't twitch. Hey, uh, I finished the rest of this row by myself. You two can put your shoes on now and we can go home. Oh, at last. Uh, Judge, what'd you do with my shoes and stockings? I didn't do anything. Where are mine? Uh, that's kind of peculiar, isn't it? Uh, Leroy. Yes, did you pick up our shoes and stockings? No, I didn't touch them. But how could they possibly disappear right off a bare field with no one else around? I don't know. We can't pitter-patter home in our bare feet like this. Hey, hey, I just figured out what happened. Huh? Come on, Uncle Mort. Come on, Judge. Let's get busy with our rakes and hose again. You planted your shoes and socks. <laughs> oh, this is going to be one of my bad days. <laughs> Start hops in the truck on your truck farm. Yes, well, any day now, Bertie. Ever since the last rain, everything is coming along swimmingly. Yeah, I tried some of the radishes yesterday, and they're coming up fine. So Marjorie, you should come out someday and look our garden over. It's a vision of vitamins. Well, I'll ride out with you the next time you go. How are you getting along with Judge Hooker? Oh, all right, except for that dirty trick he pulled on us yesterday. What was that? Well, he was raking his half of the garden when he suddenly found out he'd lost his diamond ring. Yeah, and he offered a dollar reward to the one who found it. Yeah. Leroy and I scratched through his whole patch. When we finished, he discovered that he hadn't worn the ring that day. It was all a scheme to get us to rake his rutabagas for him. Uncle Mort was so mad, he hit the judge over the head with a scarecrow. Oh, you shouldn't have done that, Uncle. Yeah, I know it, my dear. I'm sorry I did it, too. Now we've got to get a new scarecrow. <laughs> when are you going out there again, Uncle Mort? Well, uh, not till next week. Ain't you afraid the gophers will go for the plants? Uh, Are the weeds spring up and choke them? No, Bertie. I cleared the garden of all the weeds yesterday. Yeah, only some of the weeds turned out to be young carrots. Oh, that was too bad. Did you pull out many of them? Well, I must have ripped up 12 or 14 rows before I discovered what they were. <laughs> However, I had a lucky break, my dear. You did? Yes. I did all my pulling out on Judge Hooker's half. One more row and I would have starved on our own carrots. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Mort, I've been amazed at what you've done with this bit of land. You really and truly have a green thumb. Yes, it matches the rest of his complexion. <laughs> now, see here, Judge Hooker. You get over on your own side with your pumpkins and cabbages. That way you won't look so conspicuous. Oh, Mort, the judge was only having a little fun. Huh? He didn't mean it. Well, look now, but there's that man again. Yes. Oh, Mort. Oh, you mean the hired hand from the farm next door. Yes. 
Why did you lean over the fence and grin and laugh all the time? She's been doing that ever since we started this garden. Used to make us angry at first. Doesn't you give any explanation? Well, if you ask what it's all about, he just says... Don't worry, oh, I just work, work here. Yeah. Oh, I bet I could find out. Let me try, huh? That's not a bad idea, Marjorie. Go ahead. Let's just go over to her. I'd like to know what this is all about. Come on, then. Only let me do all the talking. Come on along, Uncle Moore. At first, I thought he was amused at our efforts to be farmers. But we've had such marvelous results, and he still gives us a horse laugh. Uh, good morning. <laughs> good morning, lady. Nice garden my uncle and my brother and Judge Hooker <laughs> fixed up, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the garden, is there? No, no. And what's the big joke, huh? <laughs> oh, come on, tell me. It's the land. The garden is yours. <laughs> What's wrong with that land? Nothing. Only it ain't yours. You, what? <laughs> what do you mean it isn't ours? The first day you come out here, you started measuring south from the stake and stayed in the horse. <laughs> what? Does that mean that we put in all that work for nothing and the crop isn't ours? Oh, I had a feeling I was wrong, Judge. When did you get that feeling, Gildersleeve? Yes, this morning. A fine time. Yeah, so I went downtown and I found out that a Mr. Compton owned this property. Yeah, yeah the man I work for. Oh, no, you don't. Not anymore. I bought this property this morning, and you work for me now. By George, you don't either. You're fired. The great Gildersleeve will be with us again in a few minutes. Meantime, I imagine you mothers and housewives are pretty busy these days, so I'm sure you're interested in ways of streamlining the preparing of meals and getting results that are mighty appetizing, too. Now, if you're used to running to the refrigerator for a dab of this for a shortening, a dab of that for pan frying, and something else for a spread for bread, here's a time-saving hint. Use parquet margarine for all these purposes. Yes, parquet margarine, made by Kraft. You see, the delicate appetizing flavor that makes parquet margarine... Such a delicious spread for bread makes it the favorite for cooking, too. Yes, parquet margarine is a real flavor shortening that makes all baked foods taste better. It's a swell seasoning for hot vegetables. Parquet margarine makes pan-fried foods tastier, too. And it doesn't spatter or stick to the pan. So in one convenient package, you have a grand-tasting product for all these uses. And remember this, no matter how you use it, parquet margarine is a nourishing, wholesome energy food and a reliable year-round source of vitamin A. So tomorrow, sure, try economical parquet margarine. Remember, it's parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y. Parquet margarine, made by Kraft.
knows. <laughs> In just a moment, the shadow starts his first adventure of the new season. But first, let me tell you about this master of men's minds. The shadow, mysterious character who furthers the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Cranston devotes his spare time to his favorite hobby, criminology. As the shadow, he is the sworn enemy of criminals, lawbreakers, and sharpsters. An invaluable help to the shadow is his hypnotic power, by which he clouds men's minds so that they cannot see him. This he accomplishes by means of a mystic trick acquired during the years he spent in the Orient. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the unseen voice of the shadow belongs. Today's story, Dead Men Talk. Lamont. Lamont. Uh, what? Look, darling, there's something I think you ought to know. Yes, what is it? Promise you won't tell anyone? Of course, Margot, of course. You just went through another red light. No. You know, there's nothing duller or harder to be with than a crime detective when there's no crime to detect. Well, if you'd rather not be with me... I know. You'd be very glad to take me home. The last time I heard that line was from a boy who escorted me to a high school prom. Now, Margot... I should think you'd be happy that our fair city has no murders and no robberies, no corruption at the moment. Well, I am... Of course, if you really want a victim, why don't you track down the villain who put the tax on cigarettes? Listen, my sweet... You can go to your psychology teacher and get your money back because you haven't helped my mood one bit. Okay, then. Go ahead and sulk. Would you mind telling me where we're headed for? The morgue. You mean the... I mean the morgue. I see. Of course, if you'd rather not come with me. No, no. In fact, after spending this day with you, the morgue will be a pleasant relief. Glad to see you, Mr. Cranston. Oh, how are you, Mr. Tuttle? I, uh, I'd like you to meet Miss Lane. Well, glad to meet you, Miss Lane. How do you do? Mr. Tuttle is our very efficient keeper of the morgue. I see. <laughs> yes, Miss Lane. And we're open for business here 24 hours a day. <laughs> uh, anybody in particular you were looking for, Mr. Cranston? No, no, you're just driving by, and I thought I'd drop in and see what was going on. Well, business is very slow right now. Very slack. But I suppose that's true of every business. But we did have a new one today, an old derelict uh, died of pneumonia exposure, I guess. <laughs> there he is over there. Oh, yes. Uh, poor chap. Rather nice-looking old boy, isn't he? Is he the only new one? <laughs> yes, up to now. But uh, stick around. <laughs> you know the old saying, you never know what's going to turn up, eh, Miss Lane? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Come on, let's get out of here. That, uh, Tuttle's an interesting type, don't you think? Yes. Yes, very. A jolly sword. Well, Margot, I'll park here. Will you tell him we want the evening news, please? Yes, surely. Boys. Yes, miss? Evening news, please. Ah, here you are. Evening news it is. Thank you. Read all about... What do the headlines say? Well, the steamship Bremen has been seen in Chicago wearing a long white beard. Oh, very funny. Very funny. What about local news? Well, let's see. Football team starting um, movie hero goes on. Nope. Nope, nothing new. Oh, why doesn't something happen? Good evening, Miss Lane. 
Cranston. How are you, Mr. Harvey? Uh, hello, Harvey. Say, how are things at the bank? Well, just fine, thank you. Had any good robberies lately? No, we've been... What? Skip it, skip it. So long, Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like Sherlock Holmes must have felt when Conan Doyle stopped writing him. Where to now? We're going to dinner. Oh, no. Why not? Well, you're not going to give up so soon, Lamont. You know, we can still chase ambulances. Oh. <laughs> Margo, may I see that newspaper, please? Now, you finish your salad first, Lamont. Okay, Charlie. Whatever you say. Hey, you've gotten yourself an idea, haven't you? Uh-huh. What is it? Well, I've just been thinking. You know the old saying that uh, if there's no news, then make news? Yes. Well, how about a rewrite on that? If there's no crime... Then make crime? Exactly. Just a minute. You're not going out and commit a murder. <laughs> Hardly. I have a different approach. What? Our well-known civic leader, Mr. Grant Flynn. Oh. Mr. Flynn, the poor man's friend, benefactor of little kitties. And the worst murdering thief this community has ever known. But Lamont, they've been trying for years to hang something on Flynn. Granted. But just look at this newspaper. See this story here. Whereabouts of John Gordon, racket king, still a mystery. But what's that got to do with Flynn? John Gordon was Flynn's partner. Oh, not publicly, of course. Gordon did the dirty work. He ran the racket, collected the extortion money from poor shopkeepers, and, uh, when necessary, committed the murders. Well, what's happened to Gordon? About three weeks ago, he disappeared. Boom. Just like that. And nothing's been heard of him since. Well, do you think that Flynn had something to do with his disappearance? Definitely. Gordon was becoming too dangerous to Flynn's interests. Their names were being linked together. And Gordon was trying to cut in on Flynn's political interests. And uh, probably threatened him. And you think that Flynn had Gordon murdered? Well, I'm not so sure of that. Uh, the murdered part, I mean. What I do think is that Flynn ordered him done away with. And now he's not so sure that his orders were carried out. But why? Because among those heading the investigation as to Gordon's whereabouts is his erstwhile partner, the same Mr. Flynn. Oh. And just what are you planning to do about all this? Well, if Mr. Flynn were to receive a phone call telling him that Gordon was still alive, we might stir up some interesting developments. I see. Particularly if he were to receive this phone call from the shadow. Come in. Well, what do you want? Phone call for you, Mr. Flynn. Well, who is it? He wouldn't give no name. You know I don't talk to people unless... He says he's got a message for you. Oh, yes? Yeah, from uh, Johnny Gordon. What? Should I tell him your name? No, no, no. No, I'll take it. Now, you wait in here. Whatever you say, boss. Whatever you say. Hello. 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 Mr. Grant Flynn? Yes? Shadow, I've heard of you. Thank you, Mr. Flynn. I have a message for you that might be of some importance. Oh, uh, yes? A message from John Gordon. What do you mean from Gordon? Gordon is coming to get you. Gordon's dead. How do you know? Because I ordered him rubbed out. I... That's oh, I, I mean... all I wanted to know, Mr. No, I didn't mean Flynn. that. You hear me? I didn't mean that. Perhaps you can explain yourself more clearly in the morning at the district attorney's office. If Gordon doesn't get you first. Uh, no, wait a minute. Wait. Good night, Mr. Flynn. <laughs> 
Hey, good morning, Margo. Lamont, have you seen the newspapers? No. Well, look at this. Civic leader dies suddenly. Grant Flynn, pneumonia victim. What? Pneumonia? Fired at 9 p.m. last night. Hey, now, wait a home. minute. I spoke to Flynn at 8.45. That means he contracted pneumonia, reached a crisis, and died in 15 minutes flat. Hmm. Remarkable age we're living in, isn't it? Yes, to say the least. To say the least, there's something very phony about the whole thing. Let me see that paper. Here you are. Yeah. At his family's request, the funeral services will be strictly private. The body will be removed to Conrad's undertaking callers this evening. Well, you can be certain of one thing, Margot. What's that? The services won't be strictly private. Because we're paying our respects to the late Mr. Flynn at the funeral parlor ourselves tonight. Lamont. Not so loud, Margot. Is this better? Yeah. If I'm not too curious, why are we prowling up this back alley? This is the rear of the funeral parlor. And as we aren't among the invited mourners, I thought this was the best way in. You mind? No, it's fun. Haven't done this since Prohibition. <laughs> well, here's the door. Now we'll see if I have a key to fit it. <laughs> what the well-dressed burglar will wear. How are you fixed for brass knuckles? Margot, could you stop being a bright girl for just a minute, please? All right. Well, thanks. Now, I'll try this one. No. This one. Ah, there we are. Come on. Quiet now. Behind that coffin. <clears throat> Why, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. That's better. We, uh, we're very close friends of Mr. Flynn's, and, uh, <laughs> I know it may seem very unusual to you, our being here at this hour, but. It was the late Mr. Flynn you wanted to see. Yes. Follow me. Stay beside me, Lamont. All right. Sorry, I haven't time to show you all around. You'd like it here. Yes, I'm sure we would. Mr. Flynn, wasn't it? Yes. I haven't gotten to know him very well yet. He's new here. Ah, here he is. Now, would you help me with this coffin lid? Surely. There he is. Ah, the piece. The piece they find. Are you sure this is Mr. Grant Flynn? Yes. See the engraving on the coffin? 
His family just left here a short time ago. Thank you. Come on, Margot. Leaving so soon? Yes, good night. Hope you weren't frightened. What's the matter, Lamont? That body. That body in the coffin. Yes. That isn't Grant Flynn. No? No. It's the body of that poor old derelict we saw yesterday in the morgue. out one thing. Flynn is definitely still alive. But where he is and why he so desperately pretended to be dead is something we've got to unravel. Well, what do you think you'll learn at the morgue? I want to find out who removed the body of the old derelict. Do you think they'll tell you? Not me, Margot. But they will tell the shadow. Here. 
I must have been dreaming. You weren't dreaming, Harvey. What? Don't try to look for me. You won't see me. But I'm still right beside you. Here. Wait. Must be a shadow. Man, nobody can see. That's right. Well, what do you want of me? Harvey, why did you break into Grant Flynn's vault? Me? What? And where did you deliver the contents of that vault? Please, you made a dreadful mistake. Answer my questions, Harvey. I can't. I can't tell you anything. You're a fool, Harvey. Do you know that your knowledge that Grant Flynn is still alive is your own death warrant? No. That body no. they took from the morgue and placed in Flynn's coffin, they'll have to replace that body. Did you know that, Harvey? And oh. do you know whose body they'll use as a substitute? Yours, Harvey. Yours. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll talk. You've got to protect me. You can't let them kill me. I promise you that. Now, where is Flynn? I delivered the papers to him at his own warehouse down on the riverfront. I think he's planning to make a getaway sometime tonight. <laughs> Careful looking place. Lamont, what's that boarded structure beside it? Uh, that, my dear, is what is affectionately known to the taxpayers of our community as Flynn's Folly. Flynn's Folly. Excuse me, I vaguely recall that name. It's the title that was bestowed on the vehicular tunnel that was built under the river by Flynn with public funds, and then never you. Hmm. You must have made something on that little deal. Mm-hmm. Millions. Yeah, I think it's best that we leave the car here, Margot. We'll look for a door in the rear of the building. Come on. Okay, Chief. Oh, I never liked this neighborhood, even in the daytime. No one about it this hour. Now, if we can only... Fo- ah, here's a door. Now to get... I don't know, those keys again. These keys are very precious, my sweet. I realize that. But wouldn't it be fun to just ring a doorbell once in a while? Yeah. yeah. There we are. The first one. Right. Let me have the flashlight. Yeah. Oh, the flashlight. Yes, yes, the flashlight. Hurry. I I left it in the car. What? You did? Well, that's fine. Oh, I'm sorry, Lamont. I can go back. No, no, no. Never mind. We'll use matches. Stay right behind me. Right behind you. There. Look, Lamont. There's a flight of stairs in the corner. Good. That's what I was looking for. You see, I've heard that Flynn has maintained a hideaway here for years. Upstairs on top of the warehouse. Well, he's up there now. There's only one way to find out. Now, you wait here. Wait here? Yes, it'll be much safer. If I'm not back downstairs in 15 minutes, I want you to get in the car and go to the police headquarters. You can tell Commissioner Weston our whole story. Oh, Lamont, don't you think you ought to send for Weston now? I should say not. Well, see you in a few minutes, honey. Yes, sir. See you in a few minutes. And don't worry. Everything will be all right. Everything will be all right. Oh, shucks, I never could whistle. Oh, dear. Something wrong, lady? Who's that? No, no, don't get alarmed. Take that flashlight out of my eyes. I can't see you. That's the idea. Who are you? Oh, sorry. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Flynn. Flynn? Flynn? Yes. The man that your friend has gone upstairs to find. <laughs> Won't he be surprised when he comes back and finds you gone? Gone? What do you mean? You see, you're coming with me. Oh, let go of me. Did you see that color when you came in here? Well, what's that got to do with... Well, it's sealed up at both ends. And the, re- and the rest of it's buried in the river. Oh, you can't. You can't. Oh, that's a muffle, you sister. 
Don't wait till you get down in the tunnel and you can scream all you want, then. Come on, now. Now, you go right through the tunnel on the wall. I can't. Stop fighting me. It's too late now, sister. <laughs> You haven't told me how you liked it down here in the tunnel yet, lady. Oh, oh now you get used to it. After you're here a while, the water dripping from the walls and the cats running around. Why, you won't want anything else. You can't keep me down here. Oh, no. This will be a lesson to you and your inquisitor friend to keep out of other people's business. Well, I hate to be leaving you, but... I don't think you are leaving, Mr. Flynn. Uh, who was that? I believe we've talked before. I... Shadow. Shadow, how did you get here? I followed you down here, and I've come for you. I believe that Police Commissioner Weston will be very interested in the phenomena of a dead man. Listen. Come to life. Listen, even if I can't see you, you aren't scaring me. Scaring seems to be your specialty, Flynn. No one's turning me in. I'm dead. See, legally dead. Come on, Flynn. Oh, no, you don't. This is the one case that Shadow failed on. We saw him back right away. Can you see anything? No. It sounds like he's running down the tunnel toward the river. We must follow him quickly. Head there, Margot. A shaft of light. Come on. Careful, Margot. Shaft of light. Come on. Careful, Margot. For all the tunnel here is covered with slime. Oh, Lamont, this is... <laughs> I thought you'd be fools enough to follow me here. We have you trapped this time, Flynn. Oh, yes? That's what you think. You see this lever right by my hand? That's a valve, see? A valve that'll let water roll into this tunnel at hundreds of tons a minute. Now, you may be just a voice, Shadow, but you can die like the rest of us. And that goes for your girlfriend, too. Well, don't you think you're being stupid, Mr. Flynn? Remember, you're trapped, too. Oh, yes, I'm dead. <laughs> I'm dead already. You can't hurt me. <laughs> don't touch that valve, Flynn. Who is that? Look, right at Flynn's feet, crawling along the ground. It's, it's a man. Three weeks ago, I was a man, lady. Three weeks ago, I was brought into this hole and left to die. Three weeks ago, I was John Gordon. Gordon? The missing John Gordon? But you can't be Gordon. Not yet. I ordered you killed and your body thrown down here. Yeah. No trigger man's a bum shot, Flynn, but I'm not. You want a practical demonstration? Now wait, Gordon. Put down that gun or I'll pull this barrel. You haven't got guts enough. Please. Keep away from me. Put that gun away. I'm the one that'll do something, lady. Come and get it, Flynn. <laughs> Oh, Lamont. Lamont. Steady, Margot. Shall I see what... Why? They're both dead. Gordon, too? Yes. He should have died days ago down here. The only thing that kept him alive was the hope of getting Flynn. Oh, horrible. So I suppose the next thing to do is to notify Commissioner Weston. Yes, he... Margot, look. What? Water. Water coming in through that valve. Oh, Lamont. Flynn must have turned it on. Come on, Margot. Quickly, quickly. Yeah. Here's a passageway. Oh, sorry. Let's get up these stairs. Yeah. Door. Oh, that was a close call. Oh. Well, what do we do now? Well, we'll notify the city department that the tunnel is flooded. But, uh, after telling Commissioner Weston about Flynn and Gordon, well, perhaps it's just as well that he never knows. Are you tired? Well, it has been a busy day. 
You like to go home? Mm-hmm. But stop off at the bookstore first, will you? The bookstore? Yes, darling. I want to rest my nerves by curling up in bed with a very gory mystery story. The blood crisis is not yet past. The Defense Department still needs vast supplies of blood and blood plasma. These materials, for which there are no substitutes whatsoever, are saving the lives of our wounded men in military hospitals and of civilians here at home. Every American soldier who is wounded in battle needs the equivalent of nine pints of blood. So the continuing drain on supplies is obvious. In addition to these current demands, it's absolutely necessary that we set up a national stockpile of plasma to meet any emergency which might arise. We need such a reserve in case the Cold War should lead to an enemy attack on our shores. More than that, every disaster, fire, flood, explosion, or earthquake takes its toll. It takes a little time to give your pint of blood. Simply call your local Red Cross chapter for an appointment. The Red Cross handles a national blood program which aims to supply the total blood needs of the country, civilian and military, current and reserve. Every type of blood is needed, and to meet the demand, Americans are rolling up their sleeves. Gunsmoke. Brought to you by Chesterfield, America's most popular two-way cigarette. What a pair. Chesterfield king size at the new low price. Chesterfield regular. Around Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal, the first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Shut the door, Chester. It's fly time. Yes, sir, I know, but I think you'd better... Come Shut in. the door, will you? Uh, Mr. Dillon? All right, Chester. Now, what are you so riled up about? Pless, Braden, and Howard Rabb. Braden and Rabb? It's too hot for those two to be causing any trouble, isn't it? Oh, it sure is hot, sir, but that don't bother them. They, they get a chance to bully somebody. They do it in the middle of a blizzard. Yeah, we were talking about heat, not cold, Chester. Yes, sir. But don't let that stop you. No, no, sir. Why don't you start right from the beginning, huh? Yes, sir. Good. Well, sir, there's a little Chinese fellow with a pigtail and all, a real Chinaman. He just come in to dodge on a freighter's wagon, and uh-huh. right now, Braden and Rab, they got him pushed up against the wall out there. Huh? Well, what for? What are they doing to him? Well, they're not hurting him, but they're kind of deviling him and poking fun at him, and I don't think they are. I told them to leave him alone. But, Mr. Dillon, I sure do wish you'd go tell him. All right, Chester, I'll go tell him. 
Mr. Doody care if there's anything I hate, it's a bully. Well, maybe they're just curious about him, Chester. I guess he's the first Chinaman that's ever been in Dodge. Mm, wait till you hear him. There they are, yonder. I don't think he understands a word they're saying. He, he, he's just backed up there, staring at him and holding tight to that little box he's got. Well, maybe that's what they want. That little box? Well, there couldn't be much in it. Probably just his medicine or something. He's not an Indian, Chester. No, sir, but maybe them Chinese fellas have medicine, too. Look there how he's hanging on to it. <laughs> you sure don't talk very good, do you, Rat? Somebody must have split his tongue. No, Chinese boys always sound like that. Here, now look, fella. I'm just going to ask you once more. What you doing here in Dallas? Me come catch a job. Me all time works hard. Job, huh? Well, you're the first Chinaman i ever seen around here. I sure hope you ain't brought your family with you. No family. One mom, one boy, all the same as me. No family. Well, that's one good thing. Why shouldn't a man have a family, uh, Rab? Oh. Hello, Marshal. Why shouldn't he have a family? Well, you want a lot of Chinamen running around loose here? No, got family. Got cousin, one cousin, San Francisco, him, very good Chinaman. What's your name, fella? Chen Long Wong. Me good boy. Got place, Dodge City. All time work hard. Well, you go all time work hard in San Francisco, because we sure don't need no Chinamen here. Chen, I'm the marshal here, and you're welcome in Dodge. You can stay here just as long as you like. What are you mixing in this for, Marshal? Ain't no law says we got to have China boys around here. You ain't got no right protecting him. He's just a dirty foreigner, ain't Except he? for the Indians. We're all foreigners here, Braden. And I told you, you're welcome, and you are. And if either one of these men bother you again, you come tell me about it, huh? No fight. Very bad men fight. Whoever heard of the law standing up for China? I don't care I... if he's an Eskimo, Rab. You leave him alone. Well, look, look at that box, Marshal. It's probably full of money he stole somewhere. It's no money. Chen, very good boy. No steal money. Oh, who's going to believe Get you? out of here. What? Both of you. Go on. Move. See about this later. I never heard of nothing like it. Me very sad, Marshal. Chen, no right to bring trouble. Well, I'll worry about the trouble, Chen. Tell me, uh, what, what kind of work do you do? Me cut place. Very good cook. A cook, huh? Uh, what kind of cooking do you do, Chen? All kind. Chinese cook, American cook, all kind. Hey, no, I never ate no Chinese food. What's it like? Very good. You see, when I cut job. You know what, Mr. Dillon? We ought to take him over to the Dodge House. Oh, why? Well, sir, Mr. Green fired the cook he had yesterday. Might be he ain't found another one yet. Well, all right, Chester. Uh, you take him over, huh? I got to do some work back at the office. Okay, sir. You come on along with me, Chen. Very good. We come. And remember what I said about Rab and Braden, Chen. You come tell me if they give you any trouble. <laughs> What a pair. What a buy. They're talking about Chesterfield king size at the new low price. And Chesterfield regular, America's most popular two-way cigarette. Maybe you've noticed in recent weeks how many king-size smokers are changing to Chesterfield. In sizing up the king-size situation, it's a fact that today you get more value from king-size Chesterfield than from any other king-size cigarette. What a buy. Chesterfield gives you highest quality, low nicotine. You get the taste you want, the mildness you want, 
a really refreshing smoke every time. Chesterfield King Size is the one and only premium quality king size cigarette. Buy a carton at the new low price. Chesterfield King Size. Chesterfield Regular. They satisfy millions. They're best for you. Mr. Green at the Dodge House took a chance and hired Chet Wong that day. And it turned out he wasn't lying about being a good cook. He was about the best that we'd ever had in Dodge. And neither was he lying about working hard. Mr. Green let him sleep in the storeroom off the kitchen. And there he stayed. Out of sight. And for a while, out of trouble. There was some talk about heathen Chinese and how we didn't need any of them in Dodge, but nobody did anything about it. And I was hoping everything was going to be all right. Until one day when I happened to go up to Doc Adams' office just to kill a little time. Oh, hello, Matt. Come in, come in. How are you, Doc? I'll be right with you, Matt. As I finish with Chen Wong here. Oh? Oh, what's the matter with Chen? There, lying right there. That's what was the matter with him. Oh, you lost the tooth, huh? Well, Chen, you'd have been better off doing the job yourself. Doc's as likely to pull a good one as a bad one. Forgiveness isn't one of your greatest virtues, is it, man? You know, I lost a perfectly good tooth that day, Doc, and you still charge me for it. And why not? I took the bad one out, too, didn't I? Oh, yeah, sure. Finally, once you got sobered up. When I get a sobered, oh, I had been 48 hours without sleep. Uh-huh. I delivered two babies, 30 miles apart, too, and in the dead of winter. Oh, I should have let your jaw go on aching. Might have taught you a lesson. What kind of a lesson, Doc? Humility. Well, I always figured I was a pretty humble man. Oh, yes, you, you humble? Oh, oh, you're about as humble as a Bronco Apache. <laughs> there you are, Chen. I am, too. But you better let me take a look at that in a day or two. Thank you, Doctor. I'll come back. How much do I owe you? Five dollars. May I pay you next time? You see, I won't get my salary from Mr. Green until Saturday, and I have no money except for that. Why, sure, Chen. Of course, any time. Chen, the first time I saw you, you were you were being a very good Chinese boy, all the time working hard, catching job, that kind of a thing. Is that not how a Chinese is supposed to talk, Marshal? Well, I thought it was till just now. Most of my countrymen do talk like that, Marshal. English is a very difficult language for us. Well, what about you? I was more fortunate than most. When I first came to America, I worked for a man who was very kind. He taught me and made me study and practice several hours every day. I see. But uh, why were you talking the other way when I first saw you? Experience has taught me that many men resent a Chinese who does not talk the way they expect him to. I wish to avoid trouble. Uh, Chen's on his way to China, Matt. He's going home so he can save up enough money for his passage. Oh, is that right? Well, I wish you luck, Chen. Thank you, Marshal. I must get back to work now. Good day, gentlemen. <laughs> so long, Chen. So long. Ah, oh, well. He's a nice fellow, isn't he? 
Yeah, he is, Doc. You know, I believe him about being broke, too. Oh, why shouldn't you? Why haven't you heard? Heard what? Why, that Pless Braden and Howard Rabb. They've been saying Chen's got lots of money. They say he keeps it hid in that little box of his. Huh? No, I hadn't heard that, Doc. Well, I don't believe a word of it. I think he's broke, just like he says. Well, it doesn't matter much. Why, what do you mean? Well, that kind of talk going around, he's going to be in trouble. There are men besides Braden and Rabb who'd murder Chen for his money and not even think it was a crime. Yes, I suppose you're right, Matt. I'd better go have a talk to Chen, Doc. I'll see you later. I had a talk with Chen. Tried to get him to put his box in the bank and then let everybody know that he'd done so. But he said he wanted the box near him and that he'd keep it hidden in his room. I couldn't argue him out of it, and I knew there'd be trouble. And sure enough, a couple of days later, it happened. Though not the way I'd expected. It was noon, and Chester and I were headed for the Dodge house to have a little dinner. Mr. Dillon, you know what old Teeters has went and done? No, what, Chester? He has started charging 30 cents for a haircut. Oh? Now, can't something be done about that? Well, I can think of one thing, Chester. What's that? Let your hair grow. Oh, hello, Marshal. Hello, John. Let my hair grow and look like a buffalo hunter? Hey, the restaurant looks mighty deserted, Mr. Dillon. Well, maybe it's closed today. Let's find out. Mm. There's Mr. Green. Hello, Green. You closed today? Hello, Marshal. Chester. Hello, Mr. Green. I'm closed, Marshal. I haven't got a cook. What? Chen. He won't cook today. I don't know what's the matter with him. He won't even talk. Well, where is he? Sitting in his room back there on the floor. Just sitting there and staring at his hands. Well, maybe he's sick. No, he isn't sick. But there's something wrong with him. Maybe you can find out where it is, Marshal. He might talk to you. Okay, I'll try. Uh, you better stay here, Chester. All right. It's the storeroom right off the kitchen, Marshal. Door's open. Yeah, okay, I'll find it. Thanks. Hello, Chen. Hello, Marshal. Uh, can I come in? I'd like to talk to you. I'm in. What's the matter, Chen? Are you sick? No. Uh, tell me something, Chen. What, Marshal? Do you consider me a friend? I believe you are. Good. Well, then maybe you'll let me help you. In what way? Well, I don't know. You're going to have to tell me what's wrong first. It would be difficult for you to understand, Marshal. Well, maybe, but tell me anyway. I am Chinese, Marshal. I have lived many years in America, but I am still... Chinese. Yeah. But go on. Years ago, my country was overrun by a tribe of Tatars called the Manchus. As they took each city, they required the inhabitants to shave around their heads, leaving only a long strand of hair to be braided into a queue. It was a sign of subjugation, but that has been forgotten, and now the queue, or pigtail as you call it, 
is of great importance to us. Wait a minute, Chen. I just noticed. Where's yours? To lose the queue is a great disgrace to us, Marshal. Yeah, I've heard that. Well, who did it, Chen? Two men. The same two. Brayden and Rab? They came here last night. They wanted my treasure box. You wouldn't tell them where it is, so they cut off your pigtails, at it? They took it away with them, Marshal. That makes my disgrace even worse. Yeah. Chen, I think maybe I understand how you feel about this. Uh, would it help any if I get it back for you? I am a peaceful man, Marshal. But if I do not get it back, I must kill those two. No. No, now, don't you go killing anybody. You let me handle this, huh? I am very sorry, Marshal, for all the trouble. Yeah. Uh, you wait here, Chen. I'll see what I can do. You find them, Chester? Yes, sir. They're in there, Mr. Dillon, standing over at the bar. Good. Place is about empty except for Braden and Ram. Are they drunk? I don't know. I didn't talk to them. There they are. Yeah. Hey, Marshal Dillon. Hey, you gonna buy us a drink? Hey, Marshal. I thought I told you men to stay away from Chen Wong. Chen Wong? Well, now what's he yelling about? His pigtail. He wants it back. I don't know what you're talking about, Marshal. We ain't seen Chen since the day he first come here. You went to his room last night, didn't you, and cut off his pigtail when he wouldn't tell you where his treasure box no, was? No, he didn't, Marshal. I don't even know where his room is. Chen's been lying to you, Marshal. All them heathen foreigners is liars. I want that pigtail, Rab. Now, where is it? I don't know nothing about it, I tell you. What are you standing up for him for? He ain't even a citizen. I don't care what he is. I'm standing up for him. Well, it wasn't us. Honest, Marshal. We didn't do it. Well, maybe I ought to beat the truth out of you, huh? We're telling you the truth now, Marshal. I don't believe you. You get that pigtail back to Chen or you're in trouble. What do you mean, trouble? You'll find out when it's too late. And there's nothing I can do to stop it. I went back to Chen and tried to explain things to him. He didn't say much, but I could see that his mind was made up. And so I told him what had happened if he killed anybody. But that didn't bother him. He said he'd kill himself when it was over. And then I got mad at him for being so stubborn. And I was sorry for it right away. I guess he figured I didn't understand after all. So I left him feeling pretty helpless. Well, that night he made his first move. I found out about it at the Texas Trail where I dropped in to say hello to Kitty. Oh, it sure has been a long day, Matt. I'm worn out and I got the whole night ahead of me yet. Oh, what happened today, Kitty? Oh, Sam over there got the bright idea of offering every other drink on the house any soldier that walked in here. <laughs> well, that's one way of keeping this saloon full. <laughs> sure is. If it goes on, I might as well move out to Fort Dodge and join the Army. I think it'd be easier. You know something? I think they'd be glad to have you, Kitty. I mean as a soldier. Hey, that's an idea. Lady soldiers. There are darn few jobs women couldn't do. Anywhere. 
Marshal Dillon? Marshal? What's on your mind, Rab? That, uh, that Chinaman, that's what. He's haunting us, me and Braden. And if he don't stop it, I'm, I'm going to put a bullet in him. What do you mean he's haunting you? Well, all afternoon he's been following us. Wherever we go, he just stands around staring at us. Drives a man crazy after a while. I'm warning you, Marshal. I'm going to shoot him. Good. And I can come to your hanging. What's the matter with her anyway? Rab, I told you before to give Chen back his pigtail. He won't bother you if you do. You still believe him, don't you, Marshal? Yeah, I believe him. It's a fine thing when a U.S. Marshal takes the word of a stinking, dirty little... Shut up! Get out of here, Rap. Go on. All right. I'm going. Matt, you better do something about that. I'll kill Chen, sure. Unless he kills him first, Kitty. I'll go tell Chester to keep an eye on him. I'll see you later. Sure. We will return for the last act of gun smoke in just a moment. What a pair. What a buy. Chesterfield king size at the new low price. And Chesterfield regular. And what a pair these Chesterfield smokers are. She's a great name in amateur tennis. Famed for all-round hard-hitting games. He's the famous home run hitter for the Chicago Cubs. He's Ralph Kiner. She's Mrs. Ralph Kiner. Known to tennis fans as Nancy Chafee. Nancy, why do you smoke Chesterfield? I'll tell you why. Because Chesterfields taste the best. They're so mild and refreshing. How about you, Ralph? I go along with that. Chesterfields have really got what it takes. It's a great cigarette. What a pair. What a buy. Chesterfield king size. Chesterfield regular. Buy a carton of Chesterfield king size at the new low price. And remember, either way, they satisfy millions. They're best for you. I sure am sorry, Mr. Dillon. Where did you lose them, Chester? Well, sir, they was in the Alapaganza having a drink, and I was watching them like you told me. Then a fellow come up to me, and we started talking, and next time I looked, they was gone. All three of them. So I come after you. I will find them. Yes, sir, I sure do hope so. Ken was carrying his little box, Mr. Dillon, right under his arm, and... Hey, look over there. What? What's everybody crowding up the alley for? Let's go see All right, fellas, let the marshal through here now. All right. Stand back, everybody. Clyde, through and stand back. Mr. Dillon? 
It's chance. Yeah. He's been strangled, Chester. Strangled? With his pigtail. Yeah, they gave it back to him, all right. Say, look there. It's a knife. It's got blood all over it, too. Yeah, give it to me. It's a butcher knife. Chen must have cut one of them. Maybe both. Uh, that'll make it easier to track them. Yeah. How do you men stay here? I don't want anybody following us. You understand? All right, come on, Chester. Okay. Easy now. They may be waiting for us. Yes, sir. There's something laying over there by that rain barrel. Huh? It's man. Yeah. That's Howard Rabb, Chester. Like Chen cut him up pretty bad. Is he dead? Yeah, he's dead. Well, now let's find Braden. Go on back, Marshal. You ain't gonna take me. He's out by that shed there, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Now look, you stay here, Chester, and keep down. I'm going to crawl up to where I can see him. I'll yell at him a little to keep his attention. Okay. You ain't got a chance, Braden. Go on back, I tell you. That's mighty poor shooting, Braden. You must be awful scared. Did Sam get his knife into you, too? You stand up, Chester. I'll be happy to kill you. All right, drop your gun, Braden. No! No! Okay, Chester. Did you kill him? Yeah, I killed him. Oh, sir, I guess you had to. Oh, there's Chen's treasure box, Chester. Pick it up, will you? Here it is, sir. I guess that's what they killed him for. Must be full of money after all. Here, let's take a look. Yes, sir. By golly, it is money. Yeah, this much is money, Chester. Four dollars. Four dollars? Is that all? Yeah, that's all. What's that other paper? Uh, strike a match, Chester, will you? Hold it over here. Oh, looks like kind of a document, don't it? What's it say? Well, I can't see it very well. Uh, something about Chen Lang Wong was of invaluable service, intelligence, General McClellan's Army of the Potomac, Peninsular Campaign, March 1862. Uh. Recognition. Something, something, something. Chen Lang Wong is hereby granted full citizenship of the United States. Signed Ulysses S. Grant, President. Well, I'll be doggone. 
Yeah, looks like Chen wasn't exactly a foreigner after all, doesn't it? Poor little fellow. Chester. Yes, sir? I'm going to take this letter out to Colonel Mast at Fort Dodge. I, uh, I got an idea he might want to give Chen Wong a military burial. Oh, that'd be fine. And while I'm gone, you can drag these other two off and throw them in a hole on Boot Hill. star, William Conrad. Whether you like a long cigarette or a regular-sized smoke, it's my opinion your best bet is Chesterfield, regular or king. You can't beat them for a good taste, for a mild smoke. Try Chesterfield. Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Edgar Barrier, Lawrence Dobkin, Paul Dubov, and John Daner. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Filter tip smokers, this is it. L and M filters. At last, the filter tip cigarette with much more flavor, much less nicotine. L and M's Miracle Tip contains alpha cellulose for effective filtration. It's the filter that counts, and L and M has the best. Yes, this is it. As David Wayne puts it, L and M filters are just what the doctor orders. Buy L and M filters, the light and mild smoke. week at this same time, Chesterfield will bring you another story of the western frontier on Gunsmoke. This is the CBS Radio Network. September 19th. On Friday, September 19th, you can see the car, Buick 59. Not just a new car, but a new class of fine cars within reach of two out of three new car buyers. Cars so new, even their names had to be new. The Saber, Invicta, Electra. A new generation of Buicks is here. The Saber, Invicta, Electra.
Chevy Buick dealers, September 19th. The car, Buick 59. Rip Van Winkle took a sleeping pill, slept 20 years on top of a hill. He woke up by the highway in front of a big sign that read, Drive with care and buy Sinclair. Today, Sinclair means friendly, helpful service and a great new gasoline that does your car good every time you drive. New Sinclair Power X gasoline with exclusive new octane booster works like a free engine tune-up. That's because this amazing gasoline actually eliminates harmful power-robbing engine deposits. In an older car, you'll feel a new surge of power after just three tankfuls of Power X. In a new car, Power X brings out the full power of the highest compression engine. And motorists report Power X gives them more mileage, too, up to 40 miles more per tankful. See your Sinclair dealer and power up with Power X. Remember, drive with care and buy Sinclair. Power X gasoline. So much extra filling, the youngsters can actually squeeze some out for licks. New Oreo's the only chocolate sandwich cookie with that much filling. And the rich chocolatey cookies are just what you want. Crisp and not too sweet. They're all marching down to the store for new Oreo cream sandwich. A brand new kind of cookie treat. Children want new Oreo. The freshest, creamiest, thickest filling ever in a chocolate sandwich cookie. Baked only by Nabisco. Tobaccos can be blended. Blended, blended, blended. Not to suit a filter, but to suit your taste. So through the miracle tip, pure white inside, pure white outside, you get taste, more taste, more taste by far. Reach for flavor. Reach for L&M. Hey, Daddy-O, I just thought you'd like to know about the beauty of the caper. To take on any caper, it's Motorola Radio that comes pocket size. A transistor portable, let me put you wide. Now listen to music wherever you go with a new Motorola Shirt Pocket Portable Radio. The transistor X11 with six transistors, now only $29.95 at Motorola dealers everywhere. Motorola's amazing Shirt Pocket Portable provides full-size performance, new dependability, and amazing power and tone for just $29.95. Yeah. New shirt pocket portable, so lightweight, just a mere nine ounces. Hey, that's great. Built-in antenna, brake-resistant case comes in full covers. It's got a rate. Now, 90-day warranty on parts and workmanship. Motorola's warranty makes it all him. So if you want music wherever you go, Motorola's the most. Yeah, you know. New Motorola Shirt Pocket Portable Radio, the Transistor X11 with six transistors, now only $29.95 at Motorola dealers everywhere. Yeah. 
thirsty is a natural whenever you're thirsty or whenever there's food around at game time, snack time, or as a welcome treat at any time. Cold, delicious Frosty adds a real touch of enjoyment. Or here's another suggestion that's a real treat. Pour Frosty into a tall glass, add a scoop of your favorite ice cream, stir briskly, then sit back and enjoy the finest float you've ever tasted. Sound good? You bet it is. Lots of folks stock up on Frosty when they shop for food. Why don't you? Look for the Frosty display at your local store or supermarket. Frosty Root Beer. Frosty Root Beer. Frosty Root Beer. The Executive Session Board of Directors. It is resolved that a syndicate be formed to organize nationwide crime and that it be designated Murder Incorporated. It's on the screen. Murder Incorporated. A name that struck terror in the underworld. The super corporation of crime that made murder big business. Murder Incorporated. Story of the hoods who killed 1,000 times and the luscious ladies who lured their victims to sudden death. Murder Incorporated. From the bestseller by the man who uncovered the unholy truth behind the kings of crime and their reign of terror. Murder Incorporated. Starring Stuart Whitman, My Britt, Henry Morgan, and Peter from 20th Century Fox and Cinemascope. See Murder Incorporated. Folks, later we'll announce the winners of the first Lever Fur Contest. But now, Lever Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend, presents... Our friend, Swan. With my friend, Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship when other friendships have been forgotten. Theirs will still be hot. My friend, Irma. I'm a girl who never says I know all the answers, but with all modesty, I figure I know my way around. Then suddenly my roommate Irma Peterson comes out with one of her remarks, and mother, I'm back at the lost and found department again. (laughs) Take a classic example like last night. When I came home, I found Irma peering into a large kettle of water in which she dumped a bag of pretzels. Well, that stopped me, so I said, Honey, why are you soaking those pretzels? And Irma said, I couldn't buy any pretzel sticks, so I'm trying to straighten these out. (laughs) For a minute, I was tempted to do the same thing to her. But, knowing Irma, I just forgot the whole thing. Anyway, that was last night. Tonight, I'm going through some letters that have accumulated in the desk. Jane. Dear Jane, just a line to let you... Hmm? What, honey? Why do you save all your old letters? Well, they're mostly from relatives, and since I don't see my relatives very often, it sort of makes me feel they're right here visiting with me. Oh, I know what you mean, Jane. I still have all my old report cards. From school? Yes, they always used to kid me when I was in school. They said I'd never get out of there unless it burned down. Yeah. How did you get out? It burned down. (laughs) 
Jane, you never told me very much about your relatives. Well, honey, there isn't much to tell. Most of my family live in New England. They're fairly successful. My father had a drugstore, and, and my mother's just like all mothers, a little beyond the descriptive power of words. Gee, I can still see us on Thanksgiving. You know, Mom would make a turkey, and we'd all gather around and help her stuff it. Gee, gee, that makes me homesick. It's the same way at our house. Mother would bake a cake, and, oh, we'd all gather around and help her try to lift it out of the oven. <laughs> you know, honey, while we're on the subject of families, it's just occurred to me that you've been going with Al for quite some time, and you know nothing of his background. Come to think of it, I don't. Oh. Did he ever mention any brothers or sisters? No. In fact, he never even mentioned a mother or father. <laughs> He's probably an only child. <laughs> yeah. Came out of an egg. <laughs> you know, Irma, I, I get kind of disgusted with you sometimes. Now, here is a man with whom you're contemplating marriage, and you know nothing about him. Remember, honey, when you marry a man, you marry his family. Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Hello, Janie and Irma, my two little rooftops, one with a loose shingle. Why, Professor... Uh, excuse me, a little joke I picked up from a carpenter. <laughs> well, what's new, Janie? Oh, Professor, I'm having another one of my sessions with Irma. You see, I'm trying to convince her that it's important that she find out about Al's family as long as she's got matrimony on her mind. Oh, sure, Irma. Jane is right. It's very important that you know the background of the person you intend to marry. You know, there are two things that shape a man's character, heredity and environment. Well, I, I don't know what they mean. <laughs> That's simple. Heredity is like when you say, his father was a bum and he's a bum. <laughs> What's environment? That's when you come from a house full of bums. <laughs> of course, Irma... I know sometimes it's hard to trace a man's origin. Take me. I can't tell you where I was born because I don't know. Well, why not? When I was a little baby, I was found by a band of gypsies. For 12 years, I lived in a cave. It was dark and wet and cold. Oh, that's terrible. What do you mean terrible? I live better then than I do now upstairs. <laughs> But fortunately, I turned out to be a charming fellow. <laughs> well, I think Al is all right, and I don't want to private, pry into his private life. Come in. Hello, girls. Oh, it's you, Mrs. O'Reilly. Come on in. Oh, there you are, Professor. Janie, hold her back. Why? What, 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 what's wrong? What happened? Oh, I don't mind a little kidding about me age, but this time the professor's gone too far. Look at the note I found on the door. Let me see Yesterday was Washington's birthday, so I must stick to the facts. When Washington chopped down the cherry tree, tell me, Mrs. O'Reilly, did you hand him the axe? <laughs> oh, Professor. Well, you tell her to leave me alone. One minute she flirts with me, and the next she nags me for the rent. I don't want to have anything to do with her for love or money. Oh, you! No, 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 please, the two of you, now, now, hush. Uh, look, Irma, to get back to Al and his family... Oh, it's no use talking. I'm not going to ask Al about his family background. Oh, but you should, me darling. I remember when I was a young girl. Oh, it seems 
like yesterday. <laughs> Believe me, Mrs. O'Reilly, it's been a long day in between. <laughs> with you. What I'm trying to say is that one day I met a policeman on a horse. <gasps> what a beautiful animal. In two weeks we were married. <laughs> Where did you go on your honeymoon? Santa Anita? <laughs> now listen here, you. I don't mind your picking on me, but I'm trying to explain to Irma how important a man's family is. Sure, sweetie. We're just doing it for your own good. If Al was half a man, he'd tell you about himself. Well, Jane, don't be ridiculous. If he was half a man, he'd be too short for me. <laughs> oh, that must be Al. Come in. Hello, Jane. Hi, chicken. Hello, Al, honey. We were just running along, Al. Come on, Mrs. O'Reilly. I got a surprise for you. Surprise? Certainly. I'll show you the new window the wind put in my wall. <laughs> Goodbye, girls. Sorry they went. Wanted to tell them about my new deal. Oh, no. Another one of your deals? What is it this time, Al? Putting feathers on frogs and selling them for squabs? Oh, no. Nothing so amateurish. Got one a little off the beaten track. It's a special jacket for suspicious characters. So when a cop says, stick them up, a skirt falls down, he ain't got the nerve to frisk it. Gosh, Jane, wasn't it lucky? Wasn't I lucky to, to hook a fella like Al? I'm not so sure. I'd like to see the ones that got away. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to take a shower. Uh, honey, where's my shower cap? Oh, I lent it to Professor Kropotkin. It rained last night. Oh, it's grand. Well, I won't wet my hair. I'll just stand on my head. Caustic character? Well, Chicken, what are we waiting for? Let's you and I take over the sofa. No, Al, I, I don't sit on the sofa with strangers. Strangers? Chicken, what are you talking about? Al, I don't know anything about you. Chicken, do you like the way I put my arms around you? Yes. You like the way I kiss you? The way I let you sit on my lap? Yes. And how can you say you don't know anything about me? That's beside the point. A man's lap has nothing to do with his background. <laughs> Chicken, I don't get it Al, before I let you kiss me I I'd like to know something about your family tree Chicken, I don't like this question Shows a lack of trust And true love can only exist on mutual confidence It's got to be 50-50 What do you mean, 50-50? You don't ask me any questions I don't give you any answers <laughs> You get it? Yes, that's 50-50 Okay, chicken, let's get back to the sofa Oh, Al, we're not making any progress. We're getting back to the sofa. To me, that's progress. Oh, Al, I insist on knowing about your family. Well, Chicken, if nothing else will satisfy you, there's only one man who can help us. Who, Al? Who else but... Hello, Joe. <laughs> Al, got a problem. Joe, your folks used to know most of my relatives. I I've been away so long, I kind of forgot. What were they like? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. What else is new, Joe? <laughs> no, no, Joe, thanks. You don't have to give me the visiting days. Them joints give me the chills. <laughs> hey, goodbye, Joe. Well, did you find out anything about your family? Joe didn't know a thing. Then what were you saying about visiting days? Uh, they're all expecting babies. 
Al, you're not fooling me. You don't want me to know about your family. Oh, look, Chicken, can't we discuss this some other time? I gotta meet the boys. So I think I'll be running along. But, Chicken, ain't you gonna kiss me? No, Al. You have no sisters, no brothers, no cousins or uncles, no one to identify you. How do I know it's you? <laughs> no, Al. Goodbye. Well, if that's the way you feel, where's my coat? Goodbye. Grandma. Well, honey, you're crying. Where's Al? Gone. Oh, sweetie. Well, don't cry, sweetie. He'll be back. Oh, gee, it's all my fault. I shouldn't have insisted in finding out about his past. After all, you love the guy, and I... Irma, what's that envelope on the floor by your feet? Envelope? Oh, this? Yeah. Is it yours? No. Oh, Jane, it has Al's name on it. Maybe he left me a note. I'll read it. Yeah, honey, honey, if it's addressed to Al, you shouldn't read his mail. It, it... <laughs> oh, Jane. What is it, sweetie? It's a letter to Al from another woman. It says, Dear baby, I just read your last letter and it brought back those tender moments when I held you in my arms. <laughs> Jane, I hate him, I hate him. Oh, honey, let me see that letter. Huh. Elizabeth, New Jersey. Oh, so that's her name. <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned, he can have Miss Jersey. <laughs> Ladies, for fast dishwashing and protection for your hands, Swan is the answer. Because Swan's exclusive super-creamed blend means faster suds in the dishpan. Suds that rinse away so completely dishes never need drying. Super-creamed blend protects your hands, too. They're left as smooth and lovely as ever. Yes, Swan is the perfect dishwashing soap, thanks to Swan's exclusive super-creamed blend. And ladies, listen for the names of the big contest winners later in the program. heart is broken. Just broken. I've never seen her so upset since the night she thought Al called her an animal because he invited her to the Elks dinner. <laughs> anyway, now she's convinced that Al is leading a double life, and since, in a way, I'm kind of responsible for the turn of events, I've decided to get to the bottom of this whole affair, and I've phoned Al to come right over. Come in. Oh, Janie. Well, where's Irma? She went out. Al? I want to start off by telling you that I think you are the lowest type of cad there is. And that your despicable behavior is only equaled by your unmitigated, low-down, conniving methods. Look, Jane, if you call me down here just for a character analysis... Oh. <laughs> Al, how could you do such a horrible thing? What horrible thing? Well, all right, I'll come to the point. Who is this other woman you've been running around with? Other woman? Jane, what kind of a dope do you take me for? I love Irma. Now, listen, Al, you're not playing with children. Take a look at this letter. Irma found it. Let me see. My darling baby. Oh, so that's where I lost it. 
Jane, this is part of a letter my mother wrote to me. Your mother? You have a mother? <laughs> well, sure I got a mother. How do you think I got here? War surplus? <laughs> I got a mother in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Well, why have you been keeping it a secret? I can understand your mother not wanting it to get around, but I... Uh, <laughs> but, but surely Irma should know. Well, I know, Jane, but it's a pretty delicate situation. You see, I'm all my mom has got in this world, and, well, I've been sort of pulling a little wool over her eyes. You mean she thinks you're working? Yeah, more than that. I told her I'm a big success. See, I sent her half my unemployment check, and with the little that Pop left her, she gets by okay. And I'd rather die than disillusion her. Yeah, but, but Al, doesn't she question the fact that you only send her $10 if you're so important? Well, she did. But I explained that if I didn't practice thrift, I would never have become president of General Motors Corporation. <laughs> Al, how could you ever get your mother to believe that? Oh, I had Joe print up these letterheads. Yeah, let me see. General Motors Corporation. Assets, $60 million. President, Al. Address, main office, general delivery, box 42, New York City. Oh, Al. You think I'm a crumb, huh, Jane? No. No, Al, I, I, I think I kind of like you a little more than I did five minutes ago. I wouldn't want you to hurt your mother. Oh, thanks, Jane. I, I figured you'd understand. Yeah, but I'm the smallest part of your problem, Al. Irma is certain you're carrying on with another girl, and there's only one way to clear the whole thing up. Oh. Invite your mother over here so we can meet her. Uh, then Irma will see for herself. Well, I want Mom to meet Irma, but I'm afraid she might learn the truth about me, and that'd break her heart. Yeah, but don't worry, Al. I'll back you up in everything you say. When I'm finished, your mother will think you own the Taj Mahal. Okay, Jane, I'll call her up and have her here in an hour. Good, Al, that'll be fine. I'm sure Irma will have finished committing suicide by then, and she'll be back. Right, Jane. And look, whatever you do, no remarks about me being unemployed. Oh, no, no. Uh, but, but Al, how about your suit? Huh? How will you explain all those creases? Looks like it's been pressed in a mix master. Oh, uh, I always tell Mom I don't have time to go to the bank, and my pockets are full of stocks and bonds. <laughs> This place is just as good as where you live. <laughs> I didn't mean that, Amber. Oh. Amy, you're crying. Oh, Amber. It's happened. I'm miserable. That can only mean one thing. You got married. Oh, no, no, Amber. I never want to look another man in the face, and his name is Al. What happened, dearie? My Al's a two-timer. He's been going out with another woman. Oh, it's the same old story. You never can trust a man. And if you do find one you can trust, he ain't worth trusting. <laughs> oh, Amber, I'm so disappointed. I always thought my Al was different from other men. Well, he is different. He don't work. <laughs> Say, how did you find out about this other woman, Irma? I found a letter from her. Oh, Amber, it's so hard to believe 
Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe, maybe Al can explain it somehow. Dearie, they all have alibis. He'll give you some line like, uh, like it was his dear old mother. <laughs> well, don't fall for it. So many guys have used that excuse when they two-time me that for a while I thought every day was Mother's Day. <laughs> but, Amber, I love him, and, and I'd like to give him a, a chance to explain. I, I know he wouldn't pull that old mother line on me. Well, go ahead and find out. Cool him up. I think I will. And I'll show him. Just for that, I won't tell him about that extra unemployment check waiting for him. Hello? Hello, Albert? Chicken! I've been trying to reach you. Don't you chicken me, you... you... Amber, is this a party line? Yeah. Al, someday if you ever call me on a private wire, I'll tell you what I think of you. No, no, wait a minute, Irma. I can explain. That letter you found is from my mother. Your mother? Amber, you were right. Chicken, I don't know what you're mumbling about, but I'm bringing my mother to your apartment in an hour. So you'll be there to meet her, huh? Goodbye. Well, dearie, he says it's his mother. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> but Al is bringing over to my apartment to meet me. Ha! <laughs> He's probably having his girlfriend dress up like an old lady just to fool you. If I were you... The minute I got in the door, I'd grab her wig and pull it right off. Uh, I'm still a lady, Amber. I just want to tell Al what I think of him, that's all. Yeah, well, 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 just tell him he's a, he's a 20th century bluebeard with the spine of a jellyfish, and you've had your fill of his line, and that somewhere there's a man who'd like to meet a nice blonde like you. Thanks, Amber. I'll try to remember. And look, Amen. Don't worry about losing that guy, Al. You can always get a fella up here in the Bronx. They may not be Noel Coward, but to me, pants is pants. <laughs> Come in. Hello, Jane. I'd like to have you meet my mother. Just call her Mom. Oh, I'm very glad to know you, Mom. Come on in. Make yourself comfortable. Oh, thank you, Jane. Albert has told me all about you. Where's Emma? Oh, she'll be here shortly. I, I, I was just about to have some tea. Will you join me? Oh, thank you. I drink as much tea as I can. You see, I feel that it helps Albert. Helps Albert? Yes, it comes from India. And Albert tells me he has a place there called the Taj Mahal. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Well, Mom, I, I'm, uh, I'm surprised I haven't met you before, but I don't suppose you come to Manhattan very often. No, I don't like to bother my Albert. You see, I'm just a little old lady, and my son is so busy and so important. After all, it takes time to run a big business like General Motors and General Electric. <laughs> Excuse me. Did you say General Motors and General Electric? Certainly. He also owns General Mills. <laughs> but he doesn't talk about that. That's just for pin money. Yes, I understand. I keep telling Albert he shouldn't work so hard. After all, one million more or less, what does it matter? Your health comes first. Ah, oh, Ma. <laughs> well, I guess it's better than having a son who's lazy and un unambitious. Why, I understand some men never work at all. They just sit around and collect unemployment checks every week. 
But not my Albert. <clears throat> Excuse me. It got kind of hard to swallow. The tea, that is. As you were saying, I suppose uh, men like that are pretty low. Yes, but thank goodness my Albert is different. I was so afraid he'd be like his father, Albert Sr. He never worked? No, he was always working on some kind of a deal, but never made a nickel. Married 30 years and didn't start to support me until after he passed away. Uh, well, that's life. Insurance. I, uh, I wonder what's keeping chicken. Oh, I'm so anxious to meet her, Jane. She must be a wonderful girl, judging by the way Albert always describes her in his letters. Has she got a good head on her shoulders? Uh, well, she has a pretty head on her shoulders. But is she smart? Uh, well, she's, uh, uh... Oh, here, here's Irma right now. <laughs> Hello, honey. Hi, uh, chicken. Al, you are a 20th century fish not filled up with jelly. And there are plenty of men who would like a blonde girl with a blue beard. <laughs> Hold it, chicken. Irma, this is my mother. Oh, yeah. Irma, please, I'm not so dumb. I'm glad they kept avoiding that question. <laughs> now, who do you think you're kidding? Uh, what's new, Elizabeth? Elizabeth? Irma, listen, listen. This is Al's mother. She comes from Elizabeth, New Jersey. You... Oh, you mean... Oh... Oh, Al, I'm so ashamed I... Oh, well, Irma, it's gotcha. very hard for most people to believe that... Uh, Plain little lady like me could be the mother of such an important man. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Forget bygones, Irma. All right, and oh, and to think I was so angry. Why, I wasn't going to tell you that there's an extra check for you at the unemployment office. No, yes, you, you, you see, yes, they, they wanted Al to, to, to mm. check... On, on how many men he needs for his new uh, 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 magnesium plant. <laughs> I think it was um, 65,000. A magnesium plant? So many men. Uh, but, but yes, to, uh, to, to milk all them cows. <laughs> I'm going to make milk of magnesium. Let's all go out and have dinner, shall, shall we? Oh, that's a great idea, but, but it's got to be on me, understand? Uh, understand? No, no, Al, no. You've been treating us to so many parties on your yacht and, uh, and, and taking us to theaters and banquets and everything, and, and I insist on paying. Well, I'll give in this time. This song won't make you class conscious. Here's my arm, Mother. Here's your ten dollars, Al. Let's go. Folks, in just a minute, there'll be an open telegram to the big winner in the first week of the $100,000 Lever Fur Contest, as well as the names of second prize winners. But first, have you entered this exciting fur contest yet? Here's all you do. In 25 words or less, tell why you like any one of these six lever products. Swan soap, Lux flakes, Lux toilet soap, 
Life Boy, Rinso, or Spry. Enter as many times as you wish. The contest is subject to rules on the entry blank at your dealers. Just enclose with each entry a wrapper or a box top from any one of these lever products. And remember, there are 1,645 prizes in all, 329 each week. Yes, each week there are prizes like these. One $3,000 mink coat, three $1,000 fur coats, five smart fur jackets worth $500, as well as 320 other prizes of valuable furs and cash. But now, an open telegram to the big winner of the first week's lever fur contest. To Mrs. John D. Hargrave, 158 Brantley Street, Northeast Atlanta, Georgia. You win a $3,000 mink coat or the cash. Congratulations, Mrs. Hargrave. Here are the names of the second prize winners who win beautiful $1,000 fur coats or the cash. Mrs. Helen Hass, Cleveland, Ohio. Mrs. Mildred Sayward, South Windham, Maine. Mrs. Lewis Binder, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The other 325 winners of valuable furs and cash will be notified by mail. It's not too late to enter. This week's contest closes February 29th. Think how grand you'd look in a gorgeous $3,000 mink coat. Send your entry now to Lever Fur Contest, Box 1, New York City. That's Lever Fur Contest, Box 1, New York City. dinner, and it's really a wonderful family gathering. Irma is terribly happy because she's just turned to the mother of the president of General Motors, General Electric, and General Mills and Points West and said, Please don't worry, Mother. When Al and I get married, you're not losing a son. You're gaining a wife. <laughs> and you know, if that makes sense to you, you're no better off than my friend Irma. My Friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Folks, next Monday evening, listen again to... Our Friend Swan. With my friend Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. The part of Professor Kropotkin was played by Hans Conried. Ladies, listen. The shortage of fats and oils is still very serious, and it's worldwide. So please keep on saving every drop of used kitchen fat. Your butcher will pay you for every pound. Frank Bingman speaking. You bet there's a reason why Spry is the cake-making wonders. Spry has an amazing cake improver secret. Try the sure Spry one bowl way and be certain of lighter, finer, richer cakes every time. No other type of shortening has Spry's cake improver secret. For new cake-making success, rely on Spry. Pure all-vegetable Spry with cake improver. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Rely on Spry. Tune in next week one hour earlier and listen to the Lux Radio Theater immediately followed by my friend Irma. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System.
everybody. Here we are all ready to take you down for another visit with Lum and Abner. Brought to you by the makers of Horlicks, the original malted milk. And now just a brief reminder. This is the time of year when colds are exceptionally prevalent. And I want to be sure that you all know what a valuable aid Horlicks malted milk can be for warding them off. Rich in vitamins and bodybuilding elements, it helps to build up your resistance, increases vitality in a way that lessens risk of infection considerably. That's why no family can afford to overlook it as a valuable addition to the everyday menu. For instance, it's fine as a welcome change for breakfast, as a drink between meals, for the youngsters, or as a snack to have just before going to bed. You'll find scores of other ways to use it. So I suggest that you get a package of Horlicks from your druggist and always keep it handy in the pantry. You won't have so much to fear from spring colds then. And now, let's see what's happening down in the little town of Mount Ida, where the Lum and Abner Circus is now showing. Well, Lum and Abner are still unable to solve the mysterious disappearance of the receipts from their circus. For two days straight now, the money has been stolen out of the safe in the wagon that they use as an office. Suspicion has been placed on almost everyone connected with the show, but as yet no definite clue has been found. Yesterday, Lum decided to hide the receipts for the day in the trunk instead of the safe, and he and Abner planned to take turn about sitting up to watch it during the night. As we look in on the circus grounds today, we find Lum in the office apparently very excited about something. Abner is just entering the wagon. Listen. What is it, Lum? What's the matter? What's the matter? We've been robbed again, Abner. We've been robbed. Huh? I just now opened the trunk to get that money out to take it to the bank, and it's gone. You mean that we taken in yesterday? Yes, sir. That money I put in the trunk last night's gone. Well, I'll swan to goodness. Well, whoever got it must have broke in here while we was over Greenwood this morning. Well, the wagon and the trunk both were locked up while we was over there, Long. Yeah, but whoever got it must have had a key to the trunk for the lock ain't broke or nothing. Looky there. Well... The trunk was locked and everything, but the money's gone. Well, they must have had a key to the wagon, too, then, Lump, or it was locked up while we was gone. I that's right. Nobody ain't stole your keys from you, have they? Why, no. If I hadn't had the keys, I couldn't have got back in here. No. I dog that this is getting to be serious, ain't it? Getting to be? It was already serious. I don't know what this is. I granny, something's got to be did about it. Well, what can we do? Well, I'm going to find out who's been taking that money if I have to burn the woods and sift the ashes. That's over $800 that's been stolen from us this week. Yeah, every dime we've took in. What's worrying me now is how we're going to pay the performers and buy feed for the animals. Well, maybe we can take in enough between now and the end of the week to take care of that, Mom. Well, don't do us no good to take it in. Somebody steals it as fast as we get it. Yeah. I'm going to get the police out here. That's what I'm going to do. Well, the only trouble, old Lump, you get the police out here... Everybody will know it, and then whoever's been stealing it will be hard to catch and show enough. Yeah, that's right. I grannies, we'll just set a trap for them ourselves, Abner. Set a trap for them? Yes, sir. We'll just put the money in the safe again tonight for bait and catch them ourselves. And then set the trap around from the safe, huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. No. Set traps in front of the safe. Well, that's the best place to put them if they'll open the safe while they got to get around there in front of it, Mom. Well, we ain't going to set no traps for them, Abner. You just said we was. I ain't talking about steel traps, though. I'll I tell you the kind of a trap we could set, Lom. The, the line trainer was telling me the other night how they catch them lines there in Africa. 
Well, there ain't no line breaking in here and taking that money. I can tell you that right now. Well, no, but you could catch a human the same way. All you got to do, Lommy, you just dig a great big hole in the ground right out there in front of the wagon and then cover it all over with brash and hay and stuff. And then when they step on it, why, they fall down in the hole and they can't get out. <laughs> for goodness sake, that ain't the kind of trap I'm talking about, Edna. Well, he says that's the best kind. You, you, you got to put some uh, fresh meat out in the middle of it, though, so when they start after the meat, why, they'll fall through the chevron over the hole, you know. Well, what would a robber want with fresh meat? Well, I don't know, but he said that's what they use there in Africa. Well, that's because they're trying to catch wild animals. Whoever it is we're trying to catch is after money. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, we can just put the money out there then. Use that for bait. Well, we ain't going to dig no hole in the ground. Now, you just well get that idea out of your head right now. What I mean by setting a trap, we can put the money in the safe and then set up and watch. See who comes to get it. Well, um, they ain't going to come in there, me and you sitting there in a the wagon. You know that. Well, we'll hide. Get outside there in the dark summer. Yeah, but how are you going to catch them if you ain't got no trap there? Well, if we see somebody trying to open the safe, we can run in here and throw a gun on them and march them right down and turn them over to the police. Yeah, but well, what if he gets away, though, before we can get there and get him, and then he's got all our money? Well, you need to worry none about that. He's too fat to run very fast anyway. Who's too fat? Huh? Oh, well, well I don't mind to tell you, Abner, I believe Squire Skimp is the one that's getting that money. Oh, no, no, I, I don't believe it's him, Mom. I might not know he done it. Well, he said that you're the one that's been taking it. Me? Yes. He told you that? Yes, sir, that's what he said yesterday. Well, he told me the same thing about you yesterday, too. Huh? Tried his best to make me believe you done it. Well, that ornery lowdown, good for nothing. Now, he told me the reason that he knowed it was you, Mom, because that he here that... that that you was going to buy Zenora a big uh, diamond engagement ring. Why, that snake in That's what he said and said you was taking the money. See there, he's just trying to lay the blame on everybody else. He's accused you and me and Zenora and her brother and Cedric and everybody else. Except himself. Yeah, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Tom. There's somebody coming around the wagon now. Huh? Who is it? Well, what do you want? Oh, what is it, Cedric? Uh, guess who just now drove up out there in front just now? Who? <laughs> oh. uh, Mr. Huddleston and his wife and Ethel. <laughs> well, fine. <laughs> well, whereabouts is he at, Cedric? Reckon what he's doing over here. <laughs> he's around there talking to Squire now. The the women folks went on in to watch him feed the animals. Well, I'll swan too, goody. Well, I, I just can't hardly wait to see him. No. And <laughs> find out how Elizabeth and Pearl's getting along. Uh, here's Mr. Dick and Squire coming now. Here, there, both of them in here, Mr. Dick, right in here. Yeah, all right. Thank you, Cedric. <laughs> You're kind of dressed up since you joined the circus, haven't you, Cedric? Yes, Mom. This is a brand new suit I got. Just bought it today. Well, I'll swan to goodness, Dick Hutterson. How in the world are you? Come in here and sit <laughs> down, Dick. I'm sure proud to see you. <laughs> well, how you fellas been? I'm glad to see you, sure. Yeah, what in the world are you doing way over here, Dick? <laughs> well, I just thought I better... Or to come over here and check up on you fellas, see if you behave yourself all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're doing the best we know how. Uh, no, no. Me and the wife and uh, Ethel, we drove into the county seat today and got two in there with their business early and just decided to come on by here on our way home and see how you fellas getting along. Well, fine. I'm sure proud you did. <laughs> I was fine ready, Dick. Oh, just about the same, Lum. There's nothing new to know of. Nothing new, huh? Yeah, uh, how's little Pearl and Elizabeth? 
Why, just fine, Abner. I saw him yesterday. They was in the store there to get the mail. If I'd known I was coming over here today, I could have brought him along with us, too. They had plenty of room. And I, I sure wish you had him. I would love to see him. But uh, I don't reckon Elizabeth could leave the place right here at planting time. Now, sit down, Dick. Sit down. Make yourself comfortable. Uh, well, if uh, you gentlemen will excuse me, I expect I'd better get on around there in front, you know, and sort of look after things. Uh, I'll see you before you get away, though, Dick. Yeah, sure, Squire. I won't be leaving for a while yet. Uh, Abner, I wonder if I could speak to you for a few minutes. Me? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll be back in a minute, Dick. All right, Abner. Well, sir, how's Evelina? Have you saw her since I've been gone? Why, uh, yeah, I've seen her a time or two, Lum. Uh, her and Frank Forster seems to be keeping company pretty steady now. Well, I'll swan to goodness. That snake in the weed. Frank Forster. The minute I turned my back on her. I knowed it, I knowed it. Uh, uh, say, Lum, what's this the squire's been telling me about you fellows having some money stolen over here? No, he's done told you about it, huh? Yeah, he, he was telling me, said that uh, two days straight there, that somebody broke in your office here and stole what you'd taken in the day before. Well, not only that, but they stole what we took in last night, too. Last night? Yeah, over $800 has been stolen this week. $800? Yes, sir. And if you won't mind, ID's on it. Squire Skimp's the very one that's been a-getting it, too. Squire, huh? Yeah. I'd have him arrested so quick it'd make his head swim, but there's just one thing I can get out of my mind. What's that, huh? Well, that is why if he was going to steal it, why he didn't do it when he was running the circus by himself and had charge of the money by himself. Me and Abner wasn't with him then, and wouldn't be no trouble at all for him. No. Well, I hear long. Maybe he was stealing it from you then. Huh? I say maybe he was. While he was running the circus for you, while the show was losing money all the time, yeah. I know you, you had to go in there and at the bank and borrow money to keep it open. But here now, since you and Abner joined up with it, why, you've been making money. That don't sound right to me, Lon. You mean you... Hey, Granny, that's right. That's the reason he wasn't taking in enough to pay expenses over at the county seat. Well, of course, I don't know anything about it, Lum. But that's just my opinion on it, you know. But I do know Squire Skimp. I've known him for years around Pine Ridge. I know there's nothing too crooked for him to do. Yeah, I've been studying about some of the stunts he's pulled on. The time he bought the store off and us and, uh, and uh, just same as beat us out of it, you know. Well, Lum, for the last two years, Squire Skimp has been beating you and Abner on every deal that you got in with him. Yeah, that uh, oil well business. I ain't forgot that neither. Well, he'll do anything. There's nothing too low down for him to do. I, I just hate to see him get in this circus with you. I told you Well, that. I don't know, Dick. He come over there and talk so honest about it. I just thought he'd go straight once. No, that yeah. blame his hide. Talking to me the way he did yesterday and then turning right around and stealing again this morning. This morning? Yeah, me and Abner took turn about setting up last night of watching it, so it was bound to have been stole this morning. And when we went over there to Greenwood, it's about when it happened, too. See, we're opening up over there tomorrow. Oh, you are opening up over Greenwood. Yeah. Right? And you left the money here in the wagon this morning. Huh? Yeah, for about three or four hours. Walked right here in this wagon, too. Well, uh, has Squire got a key of the wagon, Lon? Why, sure he has. He's the only one that's got a key besides me and Abner. Well, well, um, you and Abner had no business, both of you, leaving that money here that way in that well, way. I know it, I know it, but Squire come in here this morning in a big hurry and wanted me and Abner to get in the car with him and run over to Greenwood and put up some window cards. And... Wait a minute. Hi, Granny, hold on here. That money was stole while we was over there this morning, and Squire went with us. Mm. So 
Lum and Abner and Square were all three out of town when the money was stolen. The next time you're in your neighborhood drugstore, look for the name Horlick on the malted milk dispenser at the fountain. If you see it, you can be sure that the store has a high standard of quality. You can be sure that that druggist stands for quality and believes in giving his customers the best. For when he serves Horlicks at the fountain, you know that he is spending a few cents more to give you the purest of ingredients, to give you all the richness, the flavor, the good nourishment of Horlicks, which he knows to be so much superior to any imitations. Now, this matter of quality in your drugstore is mighty important to your health and to the health of your family. So be sure and watch for the Horlick name at the fountain. If your druggist doesn't serve it, ask him to get Horlicks, the original malted milk. This is Carlton Brickett, speaking for Lum and Abner and Horlicks, who now bid you all good night and good health. have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. An old couple suddenly disappear from one of the fashionable neighborhoods in your city. There's no trace of them, not a clue to their whereabouts. Foul play is suspected. Your job, find them. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke extra mild Fatima. Yes, Fatima is the king-size cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. To give Fatima a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. Best of all, long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Dragnet. The documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, 
You will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Saturday, September 30th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day shift out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Blaine Steed. My name's Friday. It was 3.45 p.m. when I got to room 67A. Missing persons. Hi, Joe. Hi. Where's Al? Next door. I'll be back in a minute. Oh. There's a phone message for you in the book. It's from your wife. What is it this time? She didn't say. Should have been a bad week. Oh, what's the matter? Lucille. Who? Our cat. Again? Kittens. Had 11 of them by the time I left the house. He was a healthy kid. Yeah. Don't know what I'm going to do with him. Hey, your mother likes cats, doesn't she, Joe? You gave us two from the last litter. We still got them. They're as healthy as their mother. Yeah? Never pass up a meal. Hi, Joe. Hi, Al. Sorry to keep you waiting. Just getting this report straightened out. Here you go. Mr. and Mrs. Walter Apperson. How long have they been missing? Well, today's the fourth day. They're an elderly couple. One of their next-door neighbors got a little worried when he didn't see him around the house. Came in yesterday and filed a 316 on him. Let's see. Clarence Stokely. Is that the neighbor? Yeah. It says here he lived next to the Appersons for 28 years. Never known him to take off like this. Checked Apperson's cottage out there. Dirty dishes on the kitchen table. Not the way an old couple leave a house normally. How about friends and relatives? Stokely called him. None of them have seen or heard from the Appersons for a week. Uh, checked out two of their three living relatives, cousin in Eagle Rock, niece in Alhambra. They don't know a thing. Hmm. wonder if I can see that, Ben. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, how about the third relative? Nephew, is that it, Joe? Yeah. Frank Apperson. Says here he goes to a private college out near Monrovia. Yeah, I haven't been able to contact the kid. He's away on a vacation. Hmm. Possible the old couple might be with him? Not according to Stokely. Says the Appersons seldom spend any time away from their home. That's all we've got to go on, huh? Just the neighbor's story? Yeah. Oh, he says he checked the garage, too. The Apperson's car's gone. How does that tie in? Well, Mr. Apperson hasn't driven the car for the last year and a half. He has a nephew or some friend drive whenever he wants to go out. Uh, one more thing. May mean something, may not. What's that, Al? Mrs. Apperson's an invalid. Yeah? She hasn't left the neighborhood in ten years. 4 p.m. Ben and I left the office and drove out to interview the neighbor of the missing couple... After checking at his home, we finally located him at his place of business, a small barber shop at the corner of 54th Street and Maxford Place. The chip gold lettering on the window read, Jim Dandy Tonsorial Parlor. Smaller lettering in the right-hand corner of the window read, uh, Proprietor Clarence Stokely. Except for a man in a white barber's smock sitting in the first chair, the shop was empty. How do you do, gentlemen? Hi. How are you? you Clarence Stokely? That's right. Police officers, Mr. Stokely. I'd like to talk to you about the missing persons report you filed yesterday. Oh, yes. Glad to help. You find out anything yet? You know the Appersons pretty well, do you, Mr. Stokely? Twenty-eight years. Sure worried about Walter and Kate. Never known them to do anything like this. Say, I couldn't be of service to you, could I? Well, I just had a haircut a few days ago. How about you, Joe? Looks like you could stand a trim. We could talk it over while I cut your hair. Don't think we'd be disturbed. They still look well. Yeah. Okay, fine. Here, I'll take your coat. Oh, thank you. First chair there. You bet. Mm. 
Mr. or Mrs. Apperson didn't mention anything about going away on a trip, did they? Not a word. That's what makes it so strange. Hey, let me fix this around your neck here. Oh, yeah, thanks. Play cards with them twice a week, usually. Katie Apperson's a fine whist player. Want me to take some off the sides here, officer? Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. Not, not too much, though. Mm-hmm. When did you first notice the Appersons weren't home? Uh, Tuesday night. We thought we might go over and play some cards. I see. Better enough off right here, officer? Mm, let me see. Yeah, that's fine. Mm. How is it you waited until yesterday to report the Appersons missing? Mm-hmm. Wife and I are great friends of Walt and Katie's, but it's certainly none of our business if they want to go off for a few days. Uh-huh. Besides, we thought if anything was wrong, Buzz would have said something. Who is Buzz? Anderson's nephew, Buzz. Name's Frank, whatever he calls him, Buzz. Thought he was away at school, a place out near Monrovia? Yeah, Stanley College, private school. And he only stays there part of the time. He's usually home early in the week. Well, we were under the impression that this nephew, Buzz, was on a vacation. Mm, that's so. That's the first I've heard. Funny, Walt and Katie would have told us. Oop, that bull? No, it's all right. Give us a little dog. Head down. Mm-hmm. You, uh, think the nephew might account for the Apperson's car being missing? You think he might have taken it on his vacation? Possible, I guess, but I think Walt would have mentioned it. That car was old, but he was particular about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe sit it out on top here a little? Mm-hmm. All right, fine. Do you know the nephew at all? Pretty well. Nice young fellow. He got along with his aunt and uncle all right, did he? Yes, indeed. Buzz loves them both. Do you have any idea where the Appersons might be, Mr. Stolfer? No, I don't. Neither does my wife. That's why we called you people. We don't mean to be Barinskis, but we're worried. Maybe just a little more off the top, officer? No, I think it's fine. It's okay. You have no idea where we might find the nephew, Buzz? Mm, Not if he's away on vacation. Might check with the school. Buzz might have gone off with a couple of his friends. A little something to dampen that down? Yeah, fine. Yeah, that porch light of theirs been burning for three nights and three days. It really kicks up the old electric bill. Maybe the Appersons may have overlooked it. Maybe. All right, sir. That's a good-looking haircut, if I say so myself. Yeah. It's fine. Here you go. Thank you. Oh, uh, here's our card, Mr. Stokely. We'll be checking with you. Bye. Bye. Can I borrow your comb? Barbara never combs your hair right. That's not going to help you. Huh? It's the way he cut it. What do you mean? He put the part on the other side. After we left Clarence Stokely's barber shop, we drove out to the Apperson home on 54th Street just below Seaboard Avenue. We checked the house from top to bottom. The closets and the bedrooms were well stocked with clothes. None of the luggage seemed to be missing. In the basement, back on one of the cupboard shelves, we found a bottle of cyanide. It was half filled. In the kitchen, we found dirty dishes still lying on the table. We put in a call to Ray Pinker at the crime lab, and he came out and took sample scrapings from each of the three plates and specimens from each of the half-filled cups of coffee on the table. He also took along a bottle of cyanide to examine it for fingerprints. Ben and I called the record bureau just as a matter of routine and asked for any make and warrants on the nephew, Frank Buzz Apperson. 
R&I called back with the information that Frank Apperson had been arrested for grand theft auto six weeks before his trial was pending. We checked back with the barber, Clarence Stokely. He knew nothing about the trouble. The next morning, Sunday, with the help of school authorities at Stanley College near Monrovia, we got in touch with the parents of two of Buzz Apperson's friends. They told us as far as they knew, Apperson was on a camping trip with their sons. They were expected back in the next day around noontime. From one of the boarding students at Stanley College, we got the name of Buzz Apperson's girlfriend, a Miss Norma Louise Bernard. She lived in San Marino. Sunday night, we drove out to interview her. I don't know what I can tell you, Sergeant. Buzzy's on a camping trip with two of the fellows from school. That's all I know. When did he leave? Do you know, Mr. North? Last Monday morning. They left from school. Said they'd be gone for a week. They're coming back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know Buzz Apperson pretty well? Yes, I do as well as anyone, I guess. What is he, just a casual date? Oh, Buzzy and I have been going steady for almost a year now. I see. How old are you? I'm 19. Have you ever met the Appersons, his aunt and his uncle? Just once. They're awfully sweet. How did Buzz get along with them, do you know? Well, fine, I guess. The only argument Buzz ever told me about was a month ago. He wanted more allowance and his uncle said no. Was Buzz ever in any trouble, to your knowledge, Miss Bernard? I don't think I know what you mean. What kind of trouble? Well, I mean, was he ever in any trouble at the college or with the law in any way? Oh, you mean that car Buzz took about two months ago? Yeah. We were supposed to go to this school dance and Buzz didn't have a car. I guess he was ashamed. He said he knew the fellow he borrowed the car from, but the day after the dance, the cops came. How did his uncle react to that? Well, there was a terrible row, Buzz said. I really shouldn't be telling you. Bud made me promise. Uh, how were feelings between the boy and his uncle before he left on the trip? Did he mention anything to you about that? Well, we had a date last Sunday night. I asked him how things were at home. He didn't seem to want to talk about it. The last time you saw him was Monday morning. Is that right? Yes, just before he left on the camping trip. Well, you're sure he went on that trip? Well, of course I'm sure. How do you mean? He said, no matter who asks you, I went on a camping trip. He said it a couple of times. Did he offer any explanation? No, but I knew everything was all right. Oh, is that so? How? I could tell. The way he kissed me. The next morning, Monday, Ben and I checked with missing persons. There was no additional information on the missing couple. We phoned the barber, Clarence Stokely. He had seen or heard nothing further of Mr. and Mrs. Apperson. We went down to the bank where the Appersons had their account. And with the help of the manager, we found that three checks had been passed on the Apperson checking account since the previous Wednesday, a full day after the missing couple had been last seen. One check was for $100 and two for $50 each. All of them had been cashed in Los Angeles and all bore the signature Walter Apperson. After examination, it was found each signature had been carefully forged. 10.45 a.m., we went back to the office. Hi, you two. Going someplace? Oh, hi, Ray. No, just coming. You finished checking that stuff through the crime lab? Yeah. I was passing over this way. I thought I'd drop off the report for you. Got it right here. How'd it go? Fingerprints on that bottle of cyanide. Latent prints got to make. Here's the name on it. Frank Buzz Apperson. You look over those dirty dishes we found in the Apperson house? Checked them through. Nothing. How about the samples you took from those cups? Whoever drank that coffee's in trouble. It's loaded. Yeah? Enough cyanide to kill a horse. You are listening to Dragnet, the case history of a police investigation presented in the public interest by Fatima Cigarettes. If you smoke a long cigarette, it will be in your interest to listen to this case history recorded by a typical Fatima smoker. Hi there. 
My name is Bab Beckwith. Bab, that's short for Bethany Ann Beckwith. I live in New York City, and I'm a fashion stylist. The other day at a showing of the new fall styles, I ran out of cigarettes. A friend of mine, a designer, introduced me to the new long Fatima. I really wish someone had told me about them sooner. Fatimas are a lot milder than the cigarettes I've been smoking, and they have a delightful flavor, too. I'm very glad to recommend them to you, because I know from experience it's wise to smoke extra mild Fatimas. And more and more smokers every day are finding that out. Actual figures show extra mild Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. The king-size cigarette, which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos, superbly blended to make it extra mild. You will prefer Fatima's much different, much better flavor and aroma. You will agree. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. The best of all long cigarettes. Monday, 1 p.m. We obtained a specimen of Frank Buzz Apperson's signature, and we had Don Myers in handwriting check it out against the signatures on the three checks. Both styles of handwriting matched in every detail. At 1.30 p.m., the parents of Buzz Apperson's two friends called to tell us that their sons were back from their camping trip. We checked the Apperson home. The nephew wasn't there. We drove out to see his two friends. Under questioning, one of them finally broke and admitted that Buzz Apperson had not gone with him on the camping trip. In the process of questioning the boys, one of them told us that he had been with a suspect two days before the trip when he purchased some medicine at the campus drugstore. We went to the drugstore and checked the prescription book. It showed Frank Buzz Apperson had purchased and signed for a bottle of cyanide two days before the disappearance of his aunt and uncle. Ben and I drove back to the Apperson house. When we arrived, the officers on stakeout had the boy in custody. No, I'm sorry, officers. I wish I could help you out, but, well, maybe it's not as bad as you think. When did you last see your aunt and uncle? Monday, before I left on the camping trip. They're in the habit of going off like this, are they? Oh, sure. Aunt Kate and Uncle Walter have friends all over. They go on trips all the time. Is that so? How do they get there? They drive, both of them. They've been driving for years. You talked to your uncle's friend, this Mr. Stokely next door. He says your aunt and uncle haven't been driving for at least a year and a half. Stokely, the barber? <laughs> He's one of the neighborhood cranks, Sergeant. Anybody around here can tell you that. Minds everybody's business but his own. You don't seem too worried about your aunt and uncle. Think they're all right? Well, we'd have heard by now if they weren't, don't you think, sir? They probably took off on a trip. That's just about the size of it, I think. And how about this trip of yours? Sir? Well, this camping trip that you just come from. Oh, a couple of fellows from school. We went camping up by Big Bear for a week. Mm -hmm. Pretty good fishing for September. Ever been up there? Yeah, have you? Well, sure. I just said that's where we've been camping. Say, uh, I'm a little thirsty. <laughs> There's a couple of bottles of ale in the refrigerator. Careful, Bob? No, no, thanks. Not right, no thanks. Well, would you mind if I had one? Sure could use it. No, you go right ahead. We can talk in the kitchen. Place is in kind of a mess. I guess I'll have to go in and clean it up. Is your aunt usually leave in a hurry like this? Not usually, no. Dishes all over the place. She probably figured she'd wait till she got back to clean up. Mm -hmm. Aunt Kate does things like that once in a while. That's so? Yeah, she's like that sometimes. Well, happy days. Yeah. Ah, 
Okay, Buzz, you want to tell us? Hmm? Where are they? Your aunt and uncle, what happened? Say, I don't think I know what you're talking about. What's the trouble? Come on, Buzz, you know what the trouble is. Let's have a straight story. It's going to save a lot of time. Sir? We can draw it out as long as you like. It'll be a lot easier if you cooperate. Look, I, I don't know what you're thinking, Sergeant, but whatever it is, I don't understand you. What are you getting at? Something's happened to your aunt and uncle, and we're pretty sure you know what it is. Well, how could I? I've been away on this camping trip. You've been away, but not on a camping trip. Sir? We've checked you out from the day you came to live with your aunt and uncle, boy. You gonna make us spell out the whole record for you? But I've been away. I just got back. I don't know what's happened. We found a bottle of cyanide in the basement cupboard. Your fingerprints are all over it. Well, sure, that figures. We use it for bug poison in the garden. I take care of the garden. I use it all the time. You use it in coffee? Sir? Police chemists checked what was left in two of the cups that were on that table there. Cyanide in both of them, enough to kill six people. Now, look, boy. We've talked to your neighbors, your teachers... Your girlfriend, Norma, and those two pals you were supposed to go camping with. Now, we can drag all of them out if we have to. They're going to make a liar out of you. Sir? I think you got it the first time. Well, there couldn't be any cyanide in those cups. Why should there be? We think you can tell us that. But I can't. I don't know anything about this. I haven't any idea what you're talking about. Is this some kind of a gag? You know better than that. How about those checks, Buzz? Sir? The ones you forged your uncle's signature on. You need the money that bad? I didn't forge any checks. I was away on a camping trip. Dave and Willie were with me. They can tell you. You got in a row with your uncle. Maybe about that stolen car. Is that how it happened? It had nothing to do with it. I want to see Norma. I want to talk to Dave and Willie. They'll tell you. How about the man at the campus drugstore? Sir? The one you bought the cyanide from. You want to talk to him, too? Look, are you two fellas kidding me? This must be some kind of a gag, is it? Your aunt and uncle are missing. There's evidence of foul play. Now, does that sound like a joke? Well, how should I know where they are? I wasn't there. I, I, I want to talk to Norma. I want to see Dave and Willie. They'll tell you. Why don't we drive over and see them now? It's all right with us. Want to get your coat? Sure. Norma's the girl I'm engaged to. Dave and Willie are my best friends. They know everything about me. A couple of real nice guys. That so? Sure. Well, let's go, babe. Yeah. Dave and Willie have been all through school with me. They can vouch for me. Yeah? Sure. You can take their word, too. We will. 5.50 p.m. We left the Apperson house, drove across town, and headed over the Arroyo Seco toward the home of the suspect's friend, Dave Killifer. 6.33 p.m. We took a right turn off the freeway, headed south for another mile, and finally pulled up in front of the Killifer home. Buzz Apperson's friend, Dave, met us at the front door. What's it all about, anyway, boss? What's the pitch? Well, that's what I want to know. Look, is this some kind of a gag you guys cooked up on me? We were on the trip, Buzz. I don't know anything about any gag. What's all this about your aunt and uncle? I don't know. That's what these officers want to find out. I'd like to have you tell us again, Dave. Um, was Buzz here with you on that camping trip? Sure, that's why we came over. Now, tell him about it, you know. All right, let's have it, Dave. Was he with you on that trip? These officers aren't kidding, Buzz. They want the truth. Well, tell them. I was with you and Willie. We went to Big Bear. We're looking for your aunt and uncle. I'm not going to lie now. You didn't go to Big Bear with us. All right, Dave. Thanks. Well, he's lying, officers. Who put you up to this stunt, Dave? They'll throw you in the jug for a gag like this. Who's behind it? You're the guy who said it was a gag. You told us to tell everybody you were up at Big Bear with Willie and me. How about leveling? What's it about? He's lying. 
What's it about? You've got nothing to hide. Have you? He's lying. You can tell that, can't you? Let's go talk to Willie. He'll tell you the truth. Joe? All right. Thank you, Dave. That's all. All right, Sergeant. Sure there isn't anything I can do? No, thanks. Just the same. Good night. Okay. Good night. Anybody could tell he was lying. Isn't that right, Sergeant? Well, he's your friend, Buzz. Why do you say that? Well, he was just plain lying, that's all. Couldn't you tell? No, I couldn't. How about you, Ben? <clears throat> Not me. Why would he lie, Buzz? You told us he was your pal. Some kind of a stupid gag they're pulling. A gang in the fraternity I belong to. Dave's one of them. They've done it before. I don't know why they're lying, but they are. Where's your friend Willie live? Sir? You said you wanted to drive over and have us talk to Willie? Oh, yeah. Well, where does he live? Look, would you mind very much? How's that? I got a terrible headache. Would you mind very much just driving around a while? I'd like to clear my head a little. I can't figure this thing out. All right. Why don't you roll down the window there, Buzz? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it feels good. Sure is hot out tonight. Yeah, mm hmm. Been a pretty long summer, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Say, uh, I guess maybe we ought to forget about going over to Willie's place. He strings along with the rest. He'd probably lie, too. You said you wanted to, wanted us to have a talk with him. Yeah, but I've been thinking about it. He'd only lie. It'd be better if we drove over to see Norma. That's the girl I'm engaged to. Yeah, that's what we understand. If anybody can give you a straight story, Norma can. She doesn't live far. Straight down the road here in the San Marino. Yeah, we know. Oh. Sure would appreciate it if you'd drive over there. Okay. Norma can straighten this thing out. Swell girl. We're going to get married as soon as we can. Oh? Yeah. She saw me leave on that trip to Big Bear. She won't lie to you. Sure wish my aunt and uncle had left a note where they were going. All this trouble. You mind if I lay out a couple of things for you, Buzz? Now, what do you mean? When a police officer picks somebody up, he's got a good reason for it. Yeah, but Dave was lying, Sergeant. You know that. It's a lot more than what Dave had to say. Now, you've done something wrong. We don't know what exactly, but we've got an idea and we're going to find out. You can't prove anything. I got that cyanide for the garden. We use it around the house for different things. You don't use it in coffee cups. What happened, boy? Where's your aunt and uncle? Next turn for Norma's house, up by the signal. Turn left. Yeah. Come on, Buzz. You know what happened. You're going to have to face it sooner or later. If it's not tonight, then tomorrow morning or tomorrow night or the night after. But I don't know what happened. The facts say you do. And they're not going to disappear. Now, you made the problem. It's going to stick out in front of you till you find an answer. How about it? Norma will know what to do. Wait till I talk to Norma. Why don't you stand up and face it, boy? Getting your girl mixed up in this isn't going to help. She'll know what to do. Can she find your aunt and uncle? Can she? How about the three checks? How about him? Can she explain those signatures that you forged? Maybe those fingerprints on the cyanide bottle. Can she help you out there? Now, look, Buzz, I believe you. You love the girl. Do you want her mixed up in all this? Here we are, Jim. Okay. 
That's the right house, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's Norma's house. All right, what's it going to be? Do we go in? She'd cry. She'd only cry. Norma thinks a lot of me. Yeah? She's a swell girl. I don't want to have to tell her. She'd only cry. Yeah. I killed my aunt and uncle. 8 p.m. Buzz Apperson directed us to drive to San Pedro to the west basin of the Los Angeles Harbor. We got out of the car and followed him to the end of one of the piers. He told us his story and we put in a call to the office. Within half an hour, a fireboat and a barge were on the scene and a diver was sent down into the water a few yards from the edge of the pier. We stood by and watched. Buzz Apperson, Ben and I. I put quite a bit of cyanide in the coffee. I had to be sure. How'd you manage to get both of them in the car? I waited till way after dark and then I dragged them out. Drove down to the end of the pier right here. Put the car in low. It went over. Right where the diver went down. Just this end of the barge. All right. There's those lines up there. There's the first one. You better stand back here. Yeah. Watch it. Okay, sir. Let's go. Buzz? Yeah. My aunt. Only one thing missing, Buzz. Sir? A reason. Why'd you do it? I'm not sure anymore. Stolen car trouble, I guess. My trial was coming up. All that trouble. I didn't want my aunt and uncle to go through all that. You mean that's why you killed him? I think so. I didn't want him to be ashamed of me. That must sound funny. Nobody's going to believe you. Suppose I don't. Yeah. Would it make any difference? The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 15th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 92, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. And now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. To successfully prosecute a criminal suspect, the working detective gathers all available physical evidence. And in the crime lab, this evidence is carefully selected and screened to determine its worth. So with a cigarette. The makers of Fatima select and buy the finest tobaccos, both Turkish and domestic. And these tobaccos are skillfully blended to make Fatima extra mild. Best of all, long cigarettes. Pack after pack, they're extra mild. Now, if you're a long cigarette smoker like I am, smoke Fatima. Frank Buzz Apperson was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree and sentenced to life imprisonment. He is now serving his term in the state penitentiary. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles. Coming up, Duffy's Tavern. Be sure to hear Theater Guild Sunday on NBC. Well, all good things come to an end sometime, and the Old Dutch Cleanser Contest comes to an end this coming Saturday at midnight. 
This is the last week to enter and win a brand new 1948 Ford sedan or a share in the big cash prizes. If you've put it off so far, enter now. If you've entered before, enter again, because your chance of winning is still just as good as anybody else's. And it's so easy to win. All you do is supply a winning last line for this jingle. Listen. For faster cleaning, with new ease, just say, new post-war, old Dutch please. With activated seismatite, ta-da, 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 ta-da. Remember, all we want is a last line, something that rhymes with seismatite. Get a pencil and paper handy, and later on, I'll give you a sample last line to go by. Just a few minutes' time might win you a brand new super deluxe Ford V8 four-door sedan or a crisp new $10 bill. Somebody's going to win, and it might as well be you. Get your entry in now, tonight. Each entry must be accompanied by the windmill pictures from two labels of Old Dutch Cleanser. Mail to Old Dutch Cleanser, Box U... Chicago 77, Illinois. That's Box U, Chicago 77, Illinois. Entries must be postmarked before midnight this coming Saturday. It's your last chance, so get going. This is the log of Magnus Carter. Space Force is on Mars, where we discovered a much-weathered step pyramid very similar to the one at Saqqara in Egypt. Whilst examining this pyramid, we were captured by a group of animal-headed humans. They resembled the portraits of gods to be found inside many ancient Egyptian tombs. In spite of our new home being an exact replica of a royal mausoleum, we were treated with hospitality by our captors, the Kometians. Then we were taken before the great god Ray, called Natum. Upon our return to our quarters, two of the high priests at the court announced that they were the bearers of joyful news. You are to be priest of Ray, whose eye is the sun. You are all to be honored and given new names. But what you if are we to be appointed high officials in the King God's court and served by his side as lords of the great sunboat. What about our release? Yes, release? Back to our sunboat. There is no release. What? No servant of the God King Ray can ever be released. Never? You mean he expects us all to serve to the death? Unto death and beyond. Intergalactic Adventure by Charles Chilton, starring Barry Foster, Nigel Stock, Nicky Henson, and Tony Osoba. Episode 4, A Test of Endurance. We're prisoners. You can't do that to us. The God King needs your help. Help? But what, what help can we give him? Some boats. You must make it fly again. It must bear him to the place of truth. Oh? Where's that? To the west, below the setting sun. That could be anywhere. The netherworld, the realm of the dead. And the king wants to go there? It is his holy right and privilege. And you must assist him. Me? You are the lord of the sky. You are blessed with knowledge of the great magic contained in the sunstone. I'm an engineer. 
I only recognise its power. I don't understand it. Ludric, what? You must try and help them. It may be our only chance of survival. But I'm not sure that I can. That boat I saw down on Earth at Sakara. Marianka wanted me to get that into working order, but I couldn't. That doesn't mean it couldn't have been repaired. I know, but I don't... You must do your best. I see. All right. <coughs> Marianka, this sunboat you want Ludwig to look at, where is it? I am to take you there. Very well. But I shall accompany him. As you desire, my lord. We seem to have been walking for hours. It's much further than down on Earth. The corridor from under the pyramid there was only a couple of miles long. Well, at least it's an interesting walk. The paintings, the tiles, and also beautifully lit. Where does the light come from? From high up on a wall near the roof. Yes, but what's its source? How's it created? That's what I'd like to know. Ah. Well, it looks as though we're arriving somewhere at last. A door. That's it. What? That door. Exactly like the one that led to the boat grave at Sakara. Please pass through. Whoa. What a magnificent place. Look at the roof. It's beautiful. A wonderful night sky. Yes, but not the Martian sky. The constellations are those we see on Earth. And there's the boat. Oh. No craft that big ever sailed the ancient Nile. This is no river boat. It is for sailing among the stars. But it doesn't function. No. You would like to go aboard now? Yes. Where's the entrance? Along here. By the God King's cabin. Come on, Audrey. If you need help, call on the peasants. They are here to serve you. I can't think how. They are strong. They will fetch and carry lift things. Good. Well, if we need anything like that, I'll call you. Thank you, my lord. Where do we go now? Into the cabin. Door should open. Good lord. A sarcophagus. It looks like one. But inside will be the power pack. How'd you get at it? On Earth, this end opened. <sighs> There's nothing there. Just a square block of, well, I don't know what it is. Well, somewhere in there is the clue to the magic that Ray called Natum keeps on about. You think you can find it? Oh, most unlikely. But I'll try. And we'll start by examining every inch of this insulating block. Where are you, Ludwig? I'm still here. I think I found something. Oh, what? Could you pass me the big grips? Oh, thanks. Out there! What? Hey! Larry! I'm taking out! Come on, do something, man! Out there! Well, I found it. Are you all right? Oh, I think so. It started to get unbearably hot in just a few seconds. What was it you found? Oh, something very simple. A broken metal rod. It must connect to a control somewhere in the stern. I'd like to go and find it. Well, come on. Uh, 
It's connected to the steerboard. You mean a simple steerboard like this controls a flying ship? Seems like it. Push that one over. That's it. Ah, now that would keep the rod in the off position. You hold it there while I go back and reconnect it. But don't move it, or you'll start the whole thing up again and I'll be roasted alive. Right. You fixed it? Yes. Now both these steerboards are connected to the power pack. I'd better just test it. Push yours over, gently. Right. Oh, we're off again. Shut it down. Right. There. Good Lord! Did you see the light from the ship's hull as we took off? I couldn't miss it. My Lord! It flies! It flies! All it's done is rise up two feet from the ground. In any case, there's nowhere for it to fly to. You can't go far in an underground grave. Naturally. The time has come to open up the sky. I have given orders. Quick, into the cabin. Why? The sky is about to split asunder. But... We shall move out into the desert whose sand is red and whose atmosphere it is poisonous to breathe. What about you? How do you breathe? With this... An animal mask? I told the mask of Seth. Those animal masks are space helmets. Into the cabin, quick! Come on, Loderick. The roof! It's opening! Look! The real sky! Yeah. The stars, galaxies, it's all there! Where did Marianka go? To the stern. He must be going to pilot the ship. I he knows what he's doing. Here! Hold on! Did you ever feel anything so unstable? Never! In all my life. And then, the heavens opened, and up we rose straight out of the ground. It must have looked like a fiery chariot straight from hell. Except it was a boat. Bigger than the one we saw at Sakara. Ten times bigger. How did it control? Very simply, by the steerboards in the stern. Good Lord. One of the blades appears to open and close an iris in the bottom of the hull. The wider it gets, the more power the ship gains, and the higher and faster she goes. The other steerboard controls direction. It's just like steering a boat through water. And with such a small area devoted to the motive power, it must be able to carry a hundred passengers at least. Where do they all go? Below deck. There are beds, chairs, tables. A regular home from home. Exactly where is the um, grave of this boat located? About uh, three and a half miles west of the pyramid. It took us nearly an hour to walk there. Like the boat grave on Earth? It's strange how everything is duplicated. Except everything seems much more ancient here. Like the ship, you mean? Yes. I think that's the main reason why it couldn't fly. It's worn out. Why don't they maintain it properly? I don't think they can. After all, a simple fracture of a control rod went undetected. Huh. If they couldn't mend that, what hope had they of maintaining a motor that even Lodric doesn't understand? They constantly refer to it as magic. No scientific builder of spaceboats would do that. You don't think they built it, then? No. Well, then who did? I have no idea. But before we leave Mars, I aim to find out. The king was so pleased with the news that the sunboat had flown, he immediately called a special audience and promoted all members of Space Force to the highest official positions that law and custom would allow. Amid a great deal of pomp and in the presence of all the court, Saxon was raised from a commoner to a high-ranking priest. In order to receive the honor, 
which Medianka and Nofret advised him not to refuse, he reluctantly allowed his head to be shaved. Then the king arose and spoke. Lord of the solar mark of gleaming gold, the right eye of the Lord of heaven, priest of Horus the falcon called Ray, you shall stand on the right hand of the god king Ray called Natan, and everyone shall call you Lord. A loud cry and a clash of musical instruments as Saxon was handed his most significant badge of office, a falcon head. It was to be worn at religious and ceremonial functions. It also served as a breathing mask, should he venture out onto the Cometian or Martian surface. Having been, as you might say, ordained, Saxon took his place at the king's right hand while he ceremoniously promoted Lodric to a somewhat lesser, but nonetheless exalted rank. You are keeper of the sacred sarcophagus, conserver and preserver of the magic sunstone which lies within, and you shall be called son of Beryl, whose task it is to drive away the shadows of darkness from the morning sky. Lodric's animal mask was the head of a phoenix, he put it on and took his place below the throne. Then came my turn. You shall be called the son of Thoth, Lord of the Moons, the Reckoner of the Years, the Scribe of Ray, the Protector of Osiris, the Keeper of All Records. Which was indeed very similar to my position aboard Space Force. Chipper was appointed my bearer. His task was to carry my writings to the God King for him to read, and then to the library, situated in the depths below the pyramid. Chipper was delighted with his newly appointed position until he received his mask. A baboon? Why should my mask be a baboon? The baboon is sacred. Huh? The patron of the scribes, the god of learning, and the son of Chom, lord of the young moon. When the moon is full, his face looks down upon us. That's not a baboon, that's a man. That's the Earth's moon, Chipper. No, Fred is talking about a Cometian moon. Which one? There are two. <laughs> Next full moon, why not look? The one with the baboon's face will be yours. Oh, very funny. <laughs> the talk about moons and baboons took place some hours after the initiation ceremony when we had returned to our quarters. Nofret had called to tell us that now we enjoyed such high rank and privileges at court, there were certain duties we were obliged to carry out. What kind of duties? You must officiate at the King's Jubilee, a most important celebration. What's he celebrating? Sixty years of continuous and loving rule over the two lands. Two? The two Kemets, upper and lower. Oh, there's another, besides the one we're on? Yes. Where? The one you inhabit. The Earth? We claim to rule only part of it. The part you called Egypt, known to us as Upper Kemet. This is Lower Kemet. Why do you call Earth Upper? It is nearer the sun, which we worship. I see. Uh, tell us about this uh, jubilee. After the king has reigned 30 years, he celebrates his achievement. He also undergoes many tasks to prove his virility and his ability to remain king. What kind of tasks? running, dancing and fighting, 
They take place on separate days. He must accomplish them all if he is to continue his reign as king. And what if he doesn't? Then he will be put to death. Put to death? And a new king elected. I'm glad to hear democracy still lives. You say Nartum has reigned 60 years? Yes. How old was he when he came to the throne? He was a young man. By now he must be quite an old one. Kemetian kings seldom live so long. I'm not surprised. But what about our part in this? What are we expected to do? There are many rituals to be learned. Many religious duties to be performed. We don't know how. The king will instruct you. Are we to go to him? Oh, no. No one must look upon him until the first day of celebration. He will send you all instructions by letter. I see. And you, son of Thoth, called Magnus, will translate them. I'm not sure that I can. With the help of Mariancha. Ah, yes. If you send your messenger to the king's apartment, the first letter of instruction is waiting. Did you hear that, Chipper? Yeah, old monkey chops at your service. Then run along, there's a good chap. Run along, I like that. The king's apartments are a good mile from here. Think of all the exercise you'll be getting. Who rattled your arch? <laughs> Pity these Cometians haven't invented the wheel. You could have gone on your bike. Oh, my aching ribs. What are you so busy on, Chipper? This messenger lark's got out of hand. Twice I've been out of the king's apartments today, only to find there was nothing to pick up. So what are you doing? Intercom. What? I've taken the intercom out of my suit and Lodricks, and I'm going to fix up a two-way communication between here and the palace. Oh. Then whenever there's anything to collect, the palace doorkeeper can give me a call. Very ingenious, but you've forgotten something. What? The batteries. Unless they're frequently recharged by exposing the solar cells to the rays of the sun, they'll run down. I know that. But at least I'll get a respite from running a marathon every couple of hours and finding nothing at the end of it. Ah, done it. Science wonderful. Hello, Saint Mid, I'm here. Thank you, Sekmit. Be right down. Didn't sound as though there was much power in those batteries. They need cooking in the sunshine. How are you going to do that? We're not allowed outside. They think we might try to escape. Well, of course we would. Give me half a chance. Shh. What's up? Sekmit, he can hear. Oh, <laughs> hello, Sekmit. Can you hear me? Speak, my lord. Sekmit is listening. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. I'll see you in about ten minutes. One. Thank you, Chipper. As soon as Marianka gets here, I'll start on it. You did call him. Yeah. What have you got there? Segment gave it to me. Present from the king. The king? Yeah. See, he's heard about my rigging up the intercom. He's so knocked out by my ingenuity that when he heard I needed to expose the batteries to the sunlight, he decided to send me some. What? Sunlight? Yeah, in here. Oh, that's an anchor. The cross of life and eternity. Segment says the sun's inside. You open this. Look out! Oh, stop! stop. He's blinded himself! Chipper! Chipper! How are you, Chipper? I feel all right, but I can't see. Uh, It'll pass off, I'm sure it will. How long has it been now? Nearly three hours, but you received the full impact of that beam. What happened? That anchor you opened, that's what the Cometians used to blind us. Do we think it must contain a stone that emits a powerful light which is as strong as the sun itself? A sort of sunstone. Oh. 
Now, you just lie still and keep your eyes closed. Magnus. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> this is a bit of luck. Chipper blinded? And you call it luck? It could be. Just think. Chipper will be okay soon. The sunstone only blinds people briefly. What of it? Well, don't you see? It's a most effective, almost peaceful weapon. We've got one. You want to use it? If necessary. It could help us escape from here and back to the ship. But the ship is outside. We'd never make it without spacesuits. We don't need them. We have the animal masks. They'll enable us to breathe even in the Martian atmosphere. Of course. All we need is careful planning and the will. Now, this jubilee, this uh, coronation festival, the celebration of the unity of the two worlds, whatever it is, I understand it takes place in the open, up on the surface in what Meriancha calls the Sedfest complex. Isn't that right, Magnus? It's a large courtyard built specially for the festival, where the king performs all his virility tests. Well, they, they go on for some days. Now, we'll be able to study the layout of the courtyard and its relationship to the pyramid. We'll have plenty of time in which to plan an escape. I gather very few people watch these kingly tests. Only priests and the highest court officials, which includes us. That's it, then. On the day the king proves his virility, we'll prove ours. We'll be up and away before you can say Horus. Within a few hours, Chipper was fully recovered. Meanwhile, Lodric carefully assessed the potential of the sunstone. He played the beam onto the rundown intercom batteries, and within seconds they were completely charged and usable. Opening the anchor, just the smallest possible chink, filled the room with enough light for all to read by. The power of this tiny stone is incredible. It's only the size of a pinhead. Extraordinary. Wait a minute. The cavity in which it's kept is about an inch across. Well... I think that must have been the size of the stone when it was first put in there. So it's reduced in size. How long do you think it's taken? It probably loses a few atoms every time the glass is opened. Could have taken hundreds of years. Well, in case we're wrong, don't use it. Unless you have to. Keep it for emergencies only. We need it for our escape. The first day of Jubilee arrived. We entered the Sedfest area via a hall of columns and a mortuary chapel. After long incantations and ceremonies involving incense and the spreading of sand, we passed out into the bright sunshine of the courtyard itself. It was empty but for two horseshoe-shaped structures, one at each end of the courtyard, and a line of false fronts of buildings which were probably meant to be mortuary chapels. At the far end was a throne of stone. Seated on it was a small, thin man, enclosed in a tight-fitting wrap and a small red hat or crown. We took our places, wearing our masks, and lined up on either side of the courtyard facing inwards. There was no sound. Saxon, who was only a foot or two from me, whispered, He's so frail. He must be very old. When do the tests begin? As soon as Marianka gives the signal, Meriaka, who held a scepter high above his head, had lowered it. Immediately, the frail figure on the throne sprang to life. He leapt to the ground, his cloak falling from him, 
and then, stark naked but for his hawk head and crown, began to run as fast as his legs could take him. He ran round the perimeter of the courtyard four times, and then, exhausted almost to the point of collapse, returned to where he had begun. He picked up the wrap from the ground, put it round his shoulders, and slumped back onto his throne. We returned underground. The peasants knew, by the psalms the priest chanted, that the first day's virility test had been passed. They danced and sang, drank deeply, and began to eye the handmaidens. We returned in stately formality to our quarters. That poor old bloke forced to run around that courtyard like he was an Olympic champion. He easily could have been. Even so, it's a gruelling test to put an old man to. How he managed so well amazes me. He was running for his life. If he fails, he dies. What does he have to do tomorrow? The dance. A ritual dance, lasting hours, apparently. Do you think he'll last out? Oh, yes. And what's the final test? The fight. He's attacked by four spearmen at once, all approaching him from the four cardinal points of the compass. And that's when all the priests gather at the far end? Yes. Then that's the day we make a run for it. How? The courtyard runs along a north-south line. That means the land explorer and the solomobiles are on the other side of the wall behind us. It's partly in ruins and easy to scale. Now, while the king's fighting and the priests are watching, we hop over the wall, pick up the transport and make for the ship. Great. Great plan, but what if they come after us? I'm banking on their thinking their religious ceremony is too important. But if they follow, we give them a blinding flash of the anchor and run harder. The next day, we attended the dance test. While he danced, the king carried a heavy stone mace and a long, heavy scepter of solid gold. The sun rose, and the heat welled up from the red sand floor. The sweat poured off the old man's back. As he passed close to me during one of his wildest gyrations, I could hear him gasping for breath inside his mask. He staggered made an effort to dance on and staggered again. Nobody moved. No helping hand was offered. No word of encouragement. Nartum gave a violent twist. His knees crumbled and he fell to the red dust. It clung to his sweating body the colour of blood. He rolled onto his back, his hawk head staring glassily at the sky, his chest heaving violently. Saxon made to go forward, but he was stopped by Marianka. The sun rose higher, and hours passed. It had begun to dip towards the horizon before Marianka decided that Natum was unable to rise. He was no longer king. We carried the god king Ray, called Natum, back to the boat grave. He was still breathing. Once underground, he was handed over to the servants of the bedchamber who took him to his quarters and placed him on the royal bed. The moment the peasants heard that the king had failed on only the second test, they ceased celebrating and shrank back to their own quarters. So did the musicians, bearers and handmaidens. We decided that quarters was the best place for us too. Well, so much for our escape tomorrow. Forget the escape. What about the king? What about him? He has failed the test. I'm not surprised at his age. Remember what we were told? The inevitable consequence of failure is death. That's right. No, for it told us. But that's not all. When he elevated us to high-ranking court officials, we swore an oath. Of course. We swore that we would serve him as long as he lived, in this world and the next. Hey, When he dies, 
I think we will share his fate. Oh, no. no. What are we well, to? he's not dead yet, so let's turn our minds to escaping from here. Shh. Someone come. Oh, no, Fred. I bring joyful news. Yes? The king has departed this world. Already? You are to travel with him to the Golden Land. In that episode of Space Force, Saxon was played by Barry Foster, Magnus by Nigel Stock, Chipper by Nicky Henson, and Loderick by Tony Osoba, with Wendy Murray, Willoughby Goddard, and Bernard Brown. Space Force was written by Charles Chilton and produced by Paul Mayhew Archer. Listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's shows. Visit our website at www.strangerspilgrims.com.